Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hey, it's Eric Zorn sitting in for Joan today. It's uh, holiday time, and a lot of regular hosts are off, and... <clears throat> Here I am. I'm a former Tribune columnist. You might remember me from uh, all those years that I opined on the op-ed pages of the Tribune. I left in June of 21, and I started up my own publication called the Picayune Sentinel, named after the little newsletter that my grandfather wrote when he was in the math department at Indiana University. So I stole the name, and I began publishing my own rants and raves and tweets of the week and just all kinds of uh, tunes that I like and just became my own little publication. It's still there. You can subscribe for free. Look it up online, Picayune Sentinel. You can also just email me, ericzorn at gmail.com, and I'll sign you up. comes out every Thursday. I've got a bonus edition that comes out on Tuesday, and uh, so there's, there's, there's all that to happen. There's, I have a great lineup of guests today. Um, I'm going to be talking to Justin Kaufman. From Axios Chicago. We're talking to Brandon Pope from WCIU and WBEZ. Then I'm going to be talking to Kate Plies, who's got this really interesting project called Roseland Chicago 1972 that she's been working on. Kate's a, uh, a journalist in Chicago and a dogged researcher, and she's putting together a, an extraordinary work of fiction slash nonfiction that uh, you'll really want to talk about. Uh, then I'm going to talk to Neil Steinberg, my friend and former competitor who's a columnist at the Sun-Times and the author of a brand new book called Every Goddamn Day. This is what it is. I hate to say it's the most engaging book of his because I think they're all engaging. I'm a Neil Steinberg fan, always have been. And then I'm going to be talking to Charlie Meyerson, who is a former colleague of mine at the Tribune, who now runs something called Chicago Public Square. And Chicago Public Square is is a a wonderful news digest. Every day he sends out a, a list of, of hot links to stories and and uh, just other ephemera that he finds online. And I want to talk to Charlie about how that's all going. So we have a some newsletter writers, we got some bloggers, we got some fiction writers, and we've got them all lined up. But uh, but first today, I, I kind of want to just go over some stuff that's been uh, been in the news and uh, or has been on my, in my publication. And uh, it, w- one of the things that uh, I've been feasting on lately, or writing a lot about, is this, was this controversy at. Um, with Indiana, uh, sorry, Purdue University Northwest, which is uh, not, not too far from here, and what happened there was that the uh, the chancellor uh, at the school was giving a, a speech. Or he was he was uh, presiding, I guess I should say, over the um, um, uh, the commencement ceremonies, and he it, he was riffing off something that the previous speaker. Had said that the that the keynote speaker at the commencement was a local radio personality, and I'm not sure. I mean, with all due respect to radio personalities, it's a sort of a strange fit to have a radio personality be giving a keynote speech at a at a uh, college graduation. But be that as it may, he was talking, and he started going on about how he had this made up language that he was. That he used with his granddaughter. It was kind of a weird story, and he started and he and he starts spouting this made up language to, as an example of how he calms his granddaughter down. And the, and the language he spouted sounded sort of vaguely Eastern European. I would say it's just hard to say. It was it was gibberish. So uh, the chancellor gets up. Um, his name is uh, Thomas Kean, and he and he says and he starts he says. 
uh, here is my uh, he he gives about two seconds of what sounds like Asian or Chinese language gibberish, of course, for him, and, he, and then he says that's my that's my Asian version of the of the of what the previous speaker was talking about, and this created a huge stir, a huge fuss, and demands for his his head, and the uh, faculty there voted that he should be, uh, his resignation should be demanded, that he should be fired. And and I got, I waded into this controversy, uh, I, as I wade into a number of these controversies having to do with uh, people wanting to be canceled or, or otherwise um, have their careers ended over a, an infelicity like this. And the question for me was, whether this was a tasteful joke, and the answer is clearly no. And I can talk about that just a little bit, which is that when you have uh, a community or, or a, an ethnic group in the United States, such as Asian Americans, who have been the subject of anti-Asian violence and anti-Asian prejudice uh, these days, and, and it's ongoing, then you can't uh, mock their language. You can't subject them to ridicule the same way that you might say be able to do that with like an Irish accent. Like if he had, if he had decided he was going to do an, a riff on an Irish accent, or he's going to do a British accent, or or um, a French accent. Let's say uh, he would he could have spouted gibberish that sounded vaguely French, and no one would have said anything because there is no particular history in the United States of discrimination against French people. And so there's no associated problem with that. And and or and if he had done say uh, even uh, identifiably Spanish or Hispanic accent, that would have been unacceptable. These are sort of fine lines, and people can say like, "Well, wait a minute, why is it okay to do French, but it's not okay to do Chinese?" And I think that that ignores the cultural context. So, so I just want to get it out on the table here, and I did in what I wrote about it, which was that. This was not a good joke. This was not something that was was tasteful. It was not something. It was offensive. Uh, now, whether it, it was a racist joke or whether it was just a, a tasteless and offensive joke, that's a that's a debate you can have. I could say that that it, it it may well qualify as a racist reference, but I don't necessarily think that it means that there was racism in the heart of the chancellor who who said this for two seconds as he and then he moved on to his prepared remarks. I think it was one of those things that that um, you say in the moment you think it's funny. You're referencing something that maybe used to be funny in this culture. That uh, certainly there's a tradition in uh, in American entertainment, uh, a, a vanished tradition, but a tradition of people making fun of and using asian sounding accents chinese sounding accents uh, what was that there was that uh was it uh oh, was it 16 candles with a character whose name was long dong or something like that it was like you know there was there's there's a a tradition but that tradition is gone that we've we've recognized that those were the error of our ways there's a lot of things in our in our entertainments in the past that are gone but that that, that thomas mckeon arguably grew up with and probably didn't understand exactly how hurtful his remark was and when he was made aware of this he offered a very lengthy and very abject apology for it and vowed to do better and this would this did not placate the, his critics uh, the people who were uh, who were uh, upset with him they they still wanted him gone they thought that this was still too far and, and one of the things that I said in, in writing about this was that there is almost never an opportunity for someone to apologize that is going to be sufficient to make the, his, his or her critics 
back down and say, okay, that's fine. You're good. We understand. We forgive you. And that's really what he wanted was, was forgiveness for this. And I think that it was warranted under the circumstances that there was no record of anti-Asian bigotry on his part. There's no record of him telling racist jokes. There's no record of him fighting against uh, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts at his university. There was nothing to say that this was not sort of a, a one-off, a mistake. And as he said in his apology, and it's a rather lengthy apology, he said, he said uh, uh, we are all human. I made a mistake. I assure you I did not intend to be hurtful. My comments do not reflect my personal or institutional values. In the true spirit of diversity and inclusion, that is the cornerstone of Purdue University Northwest, I will learn from this, and I assure you that Purdue Northwest and I will take action to prevent such missteps from occurring in the future. That struck me as adequate um, for the situation and something that you would want him to be given a second chance and you would want him to uh, be able to move on from that. And you would also want to realize this was a learning experience for the community there. This was something that they were able to see up close the kinds of hurt that can be caused by these offhand remarks. So I, I thought that it, you could have said, well, this is all, every, everything is going to be good here, that he's going to, he's going to do better. He's, resol he's <clears throat> resolved to do more to bring in the concerns of the Asian American community in his, in his campus. And uh, I don't see the value then of firing someone in disgrace in a, in a situation like that. Now, people disagreed with me on this quite strongly, and I published in my in my Tuesday edition. And again, this is available online. Um, you can just go to ericzorn.substack.com, search for the Picayune Sentinel, look for my issue on Tuesday where I engage with a reader who wrote me a, some, a long and very thoughtful piece about why he thought that this has was gone too far, that that the chancellor had too high a position, this was too obvious an error, it was too hurtful what he said, and that he needed to be made an example of. And I think that too often in our society, we want to make an example of people and, and end their careers. And, and you know, I, I don't like to use the word cancel in this cancel culture debate, but I do want to say that, that I think there is room in our debates for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace under these situations to realize that we are human, that you need to look for intent. And one of the disagreements I had with the person, the dissenter who wrote in and I engaged with in a back and forth was I think that intent really does matter. But if someone, if someone uses the wrong word or, or makes a, tells the wrong joke or makes a, a, a reference that other people find offensive, then shame on them if they keep at it. Shame on them if they're doing it because they know that it's going to cause pain and they want to cause pain. But if they aren't trying to cause pain, if this is something where they, they think they're being funny or they think it's light and they're wrong, there's a difference between being wrong and being malicious. And that's where I came down in this in this case with with McKeon. And I thought that uh, the university apparently so far has resisted calls for his his uh, ouster and they are going to just let it go with a, an official censure. And I think that that is, is sufficient. And I covered that quite a bit in the uh, in the Picking Sentinel this week. And I, and I urge you to read that issue if you're interested more in this subject. I don't know if you are. But uh, if you are, uh, go and read that. And, and I have been, will, will be printing 
some more letters on this next Tuesday. I know this it's now getting to be a bit of an old story, but it's a story that I think is interesting in terms of how it reflects on the way we are handling these kinds of disputes in our society these days. And it's one that uh, it's, it's the kind of dispute that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Uh, there's some other issues that came up in the Picayune Sentinel this week that I wanted to deal with, but I think it's time for us to take a short commercial break. I'm kind of new at this. I haven't done a lot of guest hosting, so you'll have to you'll have to bear with me while I look at the clock and look at Lady B and try to make my way through the next couple hours. But we've got a great lineup of guests. This is Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito, and we'll be right back after these. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It's Eric Zorn sitting in for Joan Esposito. I'm usually on Joan's show every Thursday at 4.30. We talk for half an hour. She plays me playing the fiddle for a little bit, and then we talk about what's in the Picayune Sentinel. So I'm getting an early start on that today. I'm going to be here with you all three hours. I've got a really nice lineup of guests. Coming up in the next half hour, uh, at the bottom of the hour, will be Justin Kaufman from Axios Chicago. And Justin is an old, an old friend. We go way back when he was at BEZ. WGN, and he's uh, he's quite a guy, and Axios Chicago is quite a success story, as I understand it. I'm really looking forward to talking to him, and then there are Brandon Pope, Kate Plies, Neil Steinberg, Charlie Myerson, they're all coming up on the Joan Esposito show with Eric Zorn. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in New York with um, George Santos, the Republican, newly elected Republican who was detected, a congressman who has been detected lying about just about everything on his resume, lying to voters about his family, his finances, uh, and his religion. It just, it was almost nothing that he didn't lie about during the campaign. And my take on this was shame on Santos, of course. Uh, although, as others have pointed out, and I will second, the Republican Party these days does not punish liars. It punishes truth tellers. It punishes Liz Cheney. It publish. It punishes Adam Kinzinger. It does not punish those who are lying. It, it gets behind the liars, and so I don't think Santos is in any political trouble with his party. The the, uh, the uh, removal of him from office would require a group of Republicans, congressmen, to get behind the effort to oust him. He won a district that is traditionally Democratic. I think, and a lot of it had to do with his the story that he told told to uh, to voters about who he was and and his character, and it was all a lie. Uh, but they don't. The Republicans, if they were to oust him, they might well lose that seat. And things are so close in the uh, Congress, in the House of Representatives in Washington, that the Republicans do not and will not risk losing that seat. So we have George Santos to stay. Now there is some uh, thought that the prosecutors there are going to get him on. Some sort of a, a, a financial the way. If he lied about his finances, he lied on government forms. They may be able to prosecute him. Now, I don't know that that is going to remove him from office. Uh, I would think that the Republican Party would want to distance themselves from this man as quickly as possible. This is a, a terrible thing that he. I mean, you compare that to how the Democrats reacted to, to Al Franken. I mean, they 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 got rid of Al Franken over. Some allegations that were never really given a whole full airing, and Al Franken left town in, in disgrace, and and the Democrats really wanted to try to take the high road. The Republicans have just given up the high road. There's no there's no effort to take the high road here at all, and 
so there, there's no there's no political there's no political chance that he's going to go anywhere in, in my view um also i would say shame on the democratic party of new in new york what were they thinking? I mean, they ran the campaign. They ran against Santos was all about how MAGA he was, how he was he was unacceptably uh, in bed with Trump. That was their whole thrust of their campaign. They didn't do the basic, the basic fundamental research that you would do to uh, to um, suss out who it was and and um, you know what whether this resume that this guy was peddling had any factual basis. His education was a lie. His, his employment history was a lie. Everything was, was a lie about that. And, and so I, I think that it's, it's, it's really important to, to blame the, the, the party. But there's also, I think, a, a, a lot of responsibility here has got to go to the media. And, and uh, you know, the New York Times did a really nice story on this. They did a, a really excellent look at at all the mistakes, uh, I mean, in this guy, in the, in the resume, all, all the things that, that looked fishy in that resume. But the New York Times did that more than a month after the election, not not during the election, not before the election, when voters could have, have, a, have a sense of that. And I don't know what that speaks to exactly. Apparently, there was one publication on Long Island that did a story, a small, a weekly publication on Long Island that did do the... Shoe leather reporting that found out that this guy's resume was was false, but there was not a concerted effort on the part of the media. And this is this is not a state assembly seat. It's not a, a county seat. It's not. Uh, it's a, a seat in the United States Congress, and this is what newspapers are supposed to do. This is what television stations are supposed to do. They're supposed to, and this is what independent philanthropically funded news organizations are supposed to do. They're supposed to do the kind of research that you don't have time to do. I don't have time to do. I run my own little operation. I don't have time to go digging through all these public records. Although I got to say, I got to say that finding out what Santos's employment history was and what his education history was, that's not that hard to do. You place a few phone calls. That's a that's an afternoon's work for a decent reporter. Uh, maybe less when you start. And, and once you start finding out that there are huge gaps of, of uh, in his resume or, or inconsistencies or lies in his resume, then you've got a real story. Then you've got to go at it like a dog on a bone. And nobody did that. And nobody seemed to see the weekly publication in Long Island that exposed this early on. And, and uh, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's pretty shocking that that, that that happened. And I think there's got to be a lot of soul searching going on in terms of uh, in these newsrooms about what are we doing and how are we doing it. Now, I realize that a lot of places, especially newspapers, especially print, are operating on a shoestring these days. They don't have the reporters they used to have, that, that uh, income is down, that staffs are down. And, and I know that that's a, a problem. I certainly was part of it at the Chicago Tribune. I knew that there's a there's a big a big deal with that. But but my goodness, you've really got to get yourself out there. And when you've got a seat in the in the United States Congress going on, uh, then you you really have to you you really have to do do the do the uh, do the reporting. Uh, it was the North Shore Leader. Um, that did this. The this is on on Long Island, and they and they referred to Santos as bizarre, unprincipled, and sketchy in an editorial on October twentieth, well before well before the election, when they endorsed Robert Zimmerman. 
and yet and yet no one did anything about it so so i I think that this is something that we need to talk about as uh, uh, when we 're talking about what what the media is up to uh, also in the picky and Sentinel today, I offered a bunch of predictions. Uh, 30 predictions on the news for the coming year. I'm going to talk to some of my guests coming up about what they're predicting for the for the future. But I disagreed. There were 30 questions, and I disagreed with the, the readers. I, had, I took a poll, uh, a click poll. I asked everyone to fill out a click poll. About 700 readers filled out this poll, what they thought was going to happen next year. Um, I think that there are going to be fewer homicides in Chicago this year. There are going to be about 700 in Chicago this year, and I think they're going to be fewer next year, and the readers thought they're going to be about the same. I think we're poised for a drop from these historic highs, and I can't even tell you why, but I I think that we are. Um, I think that uh, Donald Trump will not be criminally indicted in the coming year. Uh, and and I, I say that not because I hope that to be true, but I believe that to be true. I think that, that Trump is going to slip the noose again, so to speak, only so to speak, speaking figuratively here. I think that uh, somehow the Justice Department is going to decide that this doesn't look right, prosecuting a former political foe, and that they're going to uh, let this keep keep sliding by. But I, it's so, there's so much evidence that, that, he, uh, that he is guilty of, of crimes, in my opinion, and I really hope that that's, that's not true. I don't think that Joe Biden is going to run for re-election. Uh, I know all signs point to it, and I know that <laughs> 68% of readers think he's going to do it. Uh, he seems to have the belief in himself that he will still be a good president. He's going to be in his 80s. He's already in his 80s. Uh, and that is, I don't believe it's any job for a person in their 80s. I, you know, I, with all respect to people in their 80s, this job is, is, uh, is too hard, too demanding for someone of that, of that age to be in it. And I think it's time for the Democratic Party to start turning over a new leaf. I'm glad that, that Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer are moving on and that new leadership is, come, is coming into the party, that the party has to realize that a new generation of voters is coming up. They don't want to have all these, these old politicians. And, and I don't want to be too ageist because I'm an old man myself, but I, th- I think that it's, it's time for the party to, to turn over and to give the, give the reins to somebody else. I don't really know who. Um, I know there's certainly there's that sketch on Saturday Night Live where they kept mentioning possible candidates and it was like a, a horror show. They didn't they didn't know who, uh, who was going to be possibly running there. But but so I don't think Biden is going to run for reelection. And I also don't think that Trump, Donald Trump, is going to be the leading Republican figure at that point uh, a year from now. You look a year from now. I don't think that it's going to be Trump. Uh, I think that that he is looking more and more like a loser. And I know that he's got a he's got a huge following in the party, but I don't think it's big enough to sustain him through these sort of dark nights of the soul that he's having his his tax troubles, his business troubles, his legal troubles, and he's a loser. Let's face it. I mean, he backed all these K back Dr. Oz, he backed Herschel Walker, a lot of the candidates that he backed. Uh, did very poorly. J.D. Vance, yeah, he won, but he didn't win nearly as much as the uh, Republican governor won. Uh, John Sununu in New Hampshire, uh, who was an anti-Trump Republican, uh, as far as that goes, uh, did did very well. I, I think that the, the all the signs point to Trump not running. Now the question becomes, is J.B. Pritzker going to run for president if Biden doesn't run? And my sense is no. 
but uh, I, I could be wrong. I'm going to talk about all these things, some of these things, with our guests coming up. I've got Justin Coffin coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, right now, we need to take a little break for some news and some other things. Uh, this is Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito. And this is WCPT AM 820 Chicago. This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, it's not Joan Esposito. It's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan while she's uh, off on holiday. Like a lot of of personalities are off on holiday. Like Justin Kaufman is off on holiday. Justin, are you there? (laughs) I am. What's up, Eric? Hey, man, I stopped you. Your newsletter's on vacation. What is this? Isn't that crazy? The, the news doesn't when I worked stop. In, uh, at w- yeah, when I worked in public radio, we would we would do the same thing. But I would always like to work on the days like like this week because it was always a great week to to be. I don't know, like it, there's something great about all the wrap up and the stuff that happens after holiday to be on the air. So it's a little weird and mm-hmm. and strange to not have the newsletter going right now. Yeah, well, I, I just want to catch listeners up on, on what the newsletter is and who you are and all that sure. stuff. Because let me. Talk about Exodus Chicago. I saw in your in your newsletter right before you left on vacation that uh, things are going great. You have what uh, I want to say, one hundred and forty thousand subscribers, something like that. Yeah, we got one hundred and twenty-five. Thanks for. Well, I'm, uh, I'm but I like that you made it bigger. <laughs> better like that, better but, than making it smaller, huh? Yeah, like, yeah right. Uh, yeah, things are great. I mean, it's been a, a great year for us in uh, twenty twenty-two for Axios Chicago, which uh, launched sort of. I, I think it's fall twenty twenty. And so it's just over a year we've been doing a daily newsletter, about uh, a thousand words, three and a half minute read every morning, uh, essentially giving people smart brevity is what they call it, but just a, a, a quick and an easy uh, you know, sort of roundup of today's news. And uh, Monica Ang, my partner, and I have been doing it for a year plus, and, and we enjoy it. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Monica, who is going to be with us. We're going to do the three of mm-hmm. us together, and, and, and Monica's got a family <clears throat> health situation she's dealing with, and yeah. uh, we're, we're wishing for the best. She's been texting me about it, and uh, hope things <clears throat> hope things go well with that. But uh, yeah, shout out to Monica. And uh, anyway, but so, so you and Monica, and I, of course, I know Monica well. Monica and I used to work together at the Tribune, and I know you well because God. Gosh, yeah. were you and I were on? Were we on the BZ softball team together at some point? But my wife uh, Johanna used to work at WBEZ, and, and Justin used to work at WBEZ, and, and uh, we all hung out some back then. Um, yeah, and it's been a long time, man. It's been twenty plus years. I think we've known each other uh, and doing a lot of things, not just you know uh, socially, but also having you on the air all the time, and you were a big part of of what I was doing when I was uh, producing uh, some of the daily talk shows at uh, WBEZ over the years. So, yeah. We yeah. And then, of course, then you went over to WGN and you had uh-huh. a show there and you and I used to, do, used to do election night. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> election night radio. There's nothing better, especially WGN. We were both on the Mincing Rascals podcast as well until 
John doesn't have me on anymore after I left WGN because they're afraid of management over there. But well, yeah, I mean, I know we, that we all love you, and I think that that's it's uh, <clears throat> some self preservation going on there with uh, yeah, with because right. uh, you know Patty Vasquez used to be a mincing rascal also, and uh, yeah, if you lo- uh, yeah if you if you leave WGN, you're not allowed on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, and that's too bad because uh, I, both you guys it's are so, so talented. Anyway, um, so. You left GN and you joined Axios Chicago, and the idea yes. is, and those who don't know Axios, first of all, you got to subscribe, and it's easy to do. I just go online, Axios Chicago, and you sign up, and it's free, and um, it comes every morning. Oh, is it six o'clock in the morning, something like that? It's before I get up usually. Yeah, six thirty is when we try to launch for. I mean, there's something hiccups sometimes, but it's six thirty. Yeah. And it's and it's modeled after the Axios newsletter in in Washington, the the flagship there. And again, you, you call it smart, yeah. smart brevity, and the idea is they keep it under a thousand words, um, and then they estimate, yeah. they estimate how long it's going to take you to read it, just in case you're, in case you don't know your own reading speed. Summer's <laughs> <laughs> slower. The yeah, I it's interesting because I think when they launched their Axios launched a, a bevy of of local newsletters last year. I think there's thirty uh, around the country, different big cities, Philadelphia, San. Uh, D.C., Atlanta, Tampa, that, that stuff. And uh, Chicago was after the first wave. And, and it's been great. And and yes, the idea is to kind of mirror it off of what Axios does nationally. But I think by hiring Monica and I, we've put our own spin on it. And now it's something that's pretty unique. Like when you look at some of the other newsletters that are, you know, in Dallas or Austin or, or even Cleveland or, uh, you know, Nashville, they're much different. Everyone, everyone has a different spirit and tone and reflects their city. And I think that's what makes Axios strong across the country and, and, and primarily in Chicago. It's because they let us, they sort of leave us alone and let us lead with our voice. And, and as we just mentioned, we just talking casually about our past and we, we've been in the business for a while. Monica and I have been together, uh, you know, collectively over you know, almost a half a century of, of doing journalism in Chicago. So we know the city, we know the stories, and it's easy for us to get to the heart of the stories quicker because of that experience. Right. It, it always struck me that you have the breadth of knowledge about Chicago sports and entertainment and politics. I mean, you really hit to all fields. Monica is a, is a great companion for you because she also has that sort of depth. I don't think she's as into sports as you are, but she's much more into, <laughs> no. she's much more into like the the food culture and the and the and the various other cultures in Chicago that and that so the, between the two of you you cover an incredible wide yeah. range of, of things because uh, your interests are that they have a, a, the Venn diagram has enough in the middle of it to make the newsletter have have some coherence but there's also a lot of different uh, areas that you that you go into so so yeah. it's, uh, Monica it's, Monica does stories that I can't even. I, I, I have no, you know, no, I have no right to even be talking about because she's done some tr- tremendously invaluable journalism for Chicago, whether it was, you know, talking about CPS lunches I mean, she won awards for her stories at the Chicago Tribune for how CPS is like nacho cheese sauce is is healthy. <laughs> you remember that story at the yes. Tribune? And then she's been the lead reporter on lead pipe removal in Chicago, which is the water pipes, which is, you know, as, as people know, is just slow to a crawl. I mean, with the new mayor, uh, you know, finishing up her first term, there were a lot of promises that there were going to be replacements. And I think it's under a hundred lines have been replaced. There's hundreds of thousands to go. So, I mean, and Monica has been on that story for uh, essentially a decade. So I feel like, uh, you know, those kind of stories are, 
as I said earlier, invaluable. And uh, luckily, uh, I get a chance to work with her every day. What's the workflow like? Do you guys, uh, what, what time do you have a conference about what you're going to do every day? And, and yeah. how, how does that all get put together? You know, I always tell people when they're interested in the, in the, in the way that this works, is it's a talk show in an email format. So I have a lot of talk show experience. So does Monica working in radio. And so we meet almost like a, a daily meeting in the morning production meeting uh, on Zoom for a good hour, 9.30, 10.30, to sort of figure out what our strategy is going to be for the day. A lot of stuff has already been in the works. We've been dealing with sources and, and trying to figure out stories way ahead of that. But the idea is that we put it together, and, and by uh, afternoon, like mid-afternoon, we submit it to an editor. The editor looks over it, gives us questions. We then go through a process that, you know, the, it's it's pretty highly edited. So uh, we go through a process that pretty much gets us put it to bed uh, in the early evening, somewhere, oh. you know, between five thirty, six o'clock, 6 30. And then what happens, because I'm such a night owl and uh, a masochist for this stuff, <laughs> that I go back at 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and make sure that we didn't miss anything that happened since, you know, we put it to bed uh, is updated for the morning. And so we aren't, aren't up in the morning, which is nice. When we first started, we were. We were doing everything at 5.30, 6 o'clock, 6.15 to get ready for it. And then we realized a better workflow. Yeah, that could be a real problem if you had to start updating things like that. But there are times, like even last night, I, you know, I my little newsletter, I missed the story about the, uh, the judge in Kankakee County, you know, uh, Judge Cunnington, I guess his name was, who, who basically overthrew a key element of the Safety yeah. Act. Huge. And, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was up at Space in Evanston watching, watching music, and I didn't even hear about it. I got home, went to bed, got up this morning and realized that I'd missed a big story for my newsletter because it broke. It but broke your, but your newsletter, is not unlike the Axios one, but your newsletter is, is, is a lot of your personality. So I think that your audience is willing to, is okay if you're not hitting every single story that's come out. That story in particular is a breaking news type story that is going to have analysis the next day and the next day and probably way more next week when all, all the, uh, all the different products are back online after the holiday break. So yeah, that's a huge story because that wasn't something that was, that the Pritzker administration didn't necessarily anticipate that the courts were going to get involved in this right before it, you know, took off the, uh, the safety act. But yeah, I mean, but I always appreciate yours, yours because it's much more about, to me, when I read your stuff, I'm getting a real in-depth look and understanding of, of some stories that have been out there already. Yeah, well, I just feel like when, when something like that happens, I'd, I would love to be able to, to have a hot take on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess cause, cause it, people, suck. it sucks. It yeah. sucks. I mean, you're constantly on, like constantly covering the news. So like, there's every day I wake up in the morning, I'm like, darn it, why was that not in our newsletter? Darn it. Like, yeah. like, there's just so much, especially when you're talking about two people that got to write this stuff. In your case, one, I mean, you got to give yourself a little, I, I hear uh, representing the listeners, Eric, I want you to give yourself a little bit of slack. Oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> I want to give you, you know, as you get some, some grace as you get into the new year that you, it's okay. You're loved. Deep breath. And everybody thinks that you're great. So don't worry about this. Dog, I can tell myself that all the time. Doggone it. People like me. No, I'm, I, I, well, about this story, do you have a take on this, uh, this, uh, the safety act and then, and then bail? Uh, I mean, they say, essentially what happened was sure. that, the, that the judge said, uh, that the safety act, the portion of the safety act that got rid of cash bail is unconstitutional. I read the, the entire opinion and the, the legal opinion is, it, it doesn't read like a partisan screed. It looks like he looked at what the constitution says and says, you know, you can't do that. This is this is a separation of powers issue, and it needs to be a constitutional amendment. It can't just be a law. 
do you have any thoughts about about cash bail in general? And, and I don't know if you read this. Yeah. If you have an th- opinion about the law, I, I'm not a lawyer. Sure. I can just you know, I just yeah. I mean, you probably you, you you've done the right thing by preparing yourself for today. <laughs> like I I'm off this week, so I haven't looked. I saw the headline and I read the story about it being really about the pretrial uh, part of the law that uh, about uh, how how you detain people, and that of course is the big part of cash bail when you're talking about the Safety Act. I I mean, I'm a, I'm. I think that Illinois has been very clear. This is what gets you a little bit head scratcher about this is that Illinois has been very clear about the desire to do the end of cash bail for a couple of years now. And they've been going at it. We've had, you know, conversations in Springfield and, and obviously for this bill to have been passed in the last session to be ready to be passed, you know, or, or to go into law a couple days, be, you know, to have a judge doing this three days before it's supposed to go live. It does, it's hard not to think it's partisan. And, and I agree with you that if you read it, I'm sure it doesn't feel that way and they're looking at it. But just the idea that they wait till the last minute after all of we went through in the election and all the stories about what was going to happen with cash bail. It just for, for the layman at home and people who are paying attention to it, it just feels like uh, a last ditch effort by someone. <laughs> to yeah. to not have the law change. I mean, I I am I am vehemently opposed to cash bail because I feel like it, it, you cannot punish people for being poor, and that's essentially yes. what it is. If you've got if you commit a certain offense and you've got the money to bail out, you can get out, and if you don't, you can't, and and that that's not right. And I, I think cash bail has always been a, a blight and obscenity. I. I'm agnostic about these legal arguments in terms of the separation of powers and whether that can happen. I mean, I, I hope that the judge is wrong. I can't, I can't say with any confidence that he is and that the Illinois Supreme Court, which is five to two democratically controlled, is going to overturn this or issue a stay. But I certainly I, I hope they do. I hope that this country gets away from cash bail. I just think it's it's. Yeah. I understand the need to keep dangerous people behind bars, but if they're so, if they're if they're dangerous people, let's keep them behind bars before trial. If they're not dangerous, if if they could just buy their way out, but keep them behind bars because they don't have the money to buy their way out, that's awful, uh, in my in my opinion. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I think I think Eric, I think the the issue is about the implementation, because you can argue all day, and and I, I you know I, I agree, and I. I I agree with what you're saying. I think the idea of punishing people for, um, uh, you know, financial uh, punishment uh, over crime is ridiculous. But the implementation is where I hope that the state of Illinois and the prosecutors involved and, and the judges and, and you know, everybody involved understands that there's going to have to be a, a, an organizational change. And the idea of just uh, uh, hearings that, you know, where the prosecution has to give their case on how, uh, to keep somebody in in jail without bail, that's all new. Yeah. And so that's what I'm worried about because right now you have a backlog of cases that have have really put, I feel like, have really strained the justice system, the judicial system that we know. The idea of uh, your right to a fair and speedy trial, really pushing that. So somebody gets uh, arrested and, and uh, you know has a, a trial coming up. It can uh, look at the case of of Alderman Ed Burke. I mean, the, the idea that this is, you're talking two, three, four years out in some Oh, yeah, cases. at least before so the pandemic. That's yeah. an issue we're not even touching. But that's what I'm worried about is you're going to throw a ton of paperwork on top of this and add more strain to an already strained system. 
Hey, uh, I just got a text from Monica, and uh, she said that uh, we we can give a little shout out. Her father is in the hospital, and this is what uh, this is the family emergency, and she, he's had a procedure. And uh, we just want to give a, a real shout out to to Monica's father in the hospital. Yeah. Justin, I've I've asked people to do three uh, recommendations of anything, and I want yours. If you've if you've done your homework, and if you haven't, you've got the commercial break to think about what they are. <laughs> this is Justin Coffin from Axios Chicago. Is my guest. I'm Eric Zorn, sitting in for Joan Esposito. This is WCPT. AM 820 Chicago. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Hey, it's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan today, and my guest right now is Justin Kaufman from Axios Chicago. Coming up is Brandon Pope from WCIU-TV. And uh, you know Brandon? Justin? I do. Tell him I said hi. I will. He's, he's great. He's, he's a great guy. He's on BZ I, 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 and CIU. Yeah. yeah, he's on BZ also. He's a co-host of, host of the podcast there. And uh, he is, unfortunately, he's an Ohio State Buckeye fan. And this is something he and I are going to have to, <laughs> he and I are going to have to settle up. And Brandon is also with the Mincing Rascals podcast. And uh, I love Brandon. I guess it was his birthday yeah. yesterday. And he's probably like 30. Oh, such great. A, such a punk. Such a young punk. Well, but, uh, you, you don't have to worry about any uh, Ohio State-Michigan arguments. I'm, a, I'm an Illini guy, but I went to Columbia College. <laughs> So I don't really have any sports uh, affinity. Does, does or, Columbia have affiliation? A, they have a mascot. Is there like no. a no? Not even, like a, not even no. Like they a, always they make a joke that it's the art students in the in the coffee shop there. <laughs> like they can make like a like a hipster. The, Rembra- like, the uh, Rembrandts. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the photography uh, <laughs> the photography department is, so, is, the, is the mascot. <laughs> so what I what I asked I asked everybody's coming on today sure. for like recommendations anything you want anything that you're telling people sure. you got to do this what you got what do you got going. Okay, so there's a couple things. I mean, I, I guess we'll start in the, the arts and culture department. Or start with TV, maybe, is a good yeah. call. I am in love with the show Southside on HBO Max, Okay, which is a Chicago show. It's in its third season. It's written by two, Chicago, or two Chicago-ish. Uh, Bashir is a Chicago writer, and, and his partner, Diallo Riddle, uh, have, have created a, what I think is just a, a, an authentic love letter to the city of Chicago. It is a uh, sitcom, not a sitcom. It's a, there's no laugh track or anything like that, but it's a comedy following two, two guys who are uh, hustling on the South side of Chicago. And it's just, I don't know. There's so refreshing, Eric. It's, it's a great show and it's, it shows a different side of Chicago. Literally <laughs> it shows the South side of Chicago, but it also does a great job of capturing real addresses, real uh, jokes, a real authentic place, you know, and that's one thing we always have problems with when you're watching Chicago shows. They they they're like going the wrong way. The <laughs> yeah, they don't get the ad. They just don't put enough care into it. Like even the you know everyone loved the bear that was on FX. Yeah, I was going to ask you I about that. I love that show too. Yeah, right. But the same thing where you're like, what do you t- your 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 sense of direction? Everything is all over the place. They just don't care. They don't put any. They don't care. And you get care from the South Side, uh, from South Side the show, and. I, I think it's great, and I think uh, you should watch it if you're not watching. So, it. That would be my so, you, so you, you, you rank it above the bear. Um. I do, I do. I mean, we did a, on Axios. I've been doing, having a lot of fun with like tournaments and doing like brackets, which is we did uh, the best uh, Chicago TV show, we did the best Chicago rock band, and then we did the best Chicago downtown building. And you do it like a March Madness tournament, and it's a great little thing to do once a month, and it's fun because everyone has uh, passionate opinions and engagements. But the number one. Chicago TV show that was chosen by the Axios readers was ER. 
That's the number one show of Chicago. Southside didn't make it out of the second round. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, just like I don't agree that the best downtown building is the Wrigley building. How but did, that's what the, the how, readers said. How did the Good yeah. Wife do in that tournament? She, you know, Good Wife made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, surprise, I think it had a, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it had an upset win, which I was surprised by. The Bear, bear maybe because people were, it was new, also kind of made it to the Elite Eight. But it really, it came down to Good Times versus ER, which good I think times. probably dates our, dates our reader a little bit. <laughs> it's like, you, gotta, you know, I, 70s sitcom would, versus 90s uh, procedural. I, you got to send me a link to that. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, put that I'll put that in my newsletter. I got to see that. I'm, I'm, you know, the thing with The Good Wife that used to bother me was they were like, well, I've got an appointment and I've got to go to Winnetka and then I've got to be back yeah. downtown. And they were like, and then I got to be out at the courthouse. And it's like, it took them like five minutes to get yeah. Yeah. Get by. It's like, oh, I know, and it's on. so little. Like, all you need is like a, a dramaturg or somebody who's watching the script to be like, you can't do it that. Just change the names. They never do. That's what I like about Southside is they, they make a very specific jokes about Walgreens on the corner of uh, 63rd and Halstead. Like, when you're getting to that specific of a joke, okay. you're, you're really, you're, you're, and this is for a national audience. I love it. I love that they do that. That's so that's cool. one I would that's say. One. What's next? Uh, South side. Uh, let's see. Restaurants. Let's say some restaurant stuff. I have been uh, a big fan of, I'll tell you two things that I'm a big fan of. One, Virtue in Hyde Park, which is uh, Chef Eric Williams' restaurant, is, is one of James Beard this year. If you haven't been to Virtue, which is sort of upscale soul food in Hyde Park on 53rd Street, if you haven't been down to 53rd Street in a while, you'll be blown away. It's uh, how much uh, development there has been in that block, uh, just three block uh, neighborhood right there. Uh, I, I think that that's a good place to go. But I would say one thing that I've been digging, it's terribly unhealthy for you, but it is probably the best sandwich I've eaten in, in a long time. Uh, it is the churro chicken sandwich at Joko that Rick Bayless puts on his menu. It's cheap. It's like nine bucks. And it is a churro as a bun with a with chicken and uh some bayless hot sauce on there and it is so good and i'm like i can't believe i'm eating this you're right <laughs> from there to your cardiologist uh it really is a terror i mean you know it's just i don't know how that's on any menu at this point in in 2022 but um uh, thank you rick for doing so I, chef bayless comes through with easy street food like that uh, but it's a churro chicken sandwich eric uh, that, i gotta try that that's what that's a good one. it's really good like i'm surprised it doesn't get more fanfare from it, it's so good and you're like why am i eating this oh yeah i'm eating this because it is delicious you're eating it because yeah. because you're a journalist and you have to tell people what uh what's good and what's <laughs> that's bad right. it's, a, it's a duty that's right you do it for the people you do it for the you do it for the readers exactly uh, exactly now, is, now you got you got another one or is yeah, I can give you one more. Yeah. I'll give you a place. Uh, yeah. I've been a big fan of uh, – it might be tougher in the wintertime because, uh, you know, we're not getting outside, but spring is coming up. That's how I keep I keep telling myself that. Uh, spring is right around the corner. <laughs> it's a couple months. But, you know, I just discovered – and discovered is ridiculous because people know it very well. But the um, the trails just um, just south of LaGrange – Kind of by the, it's kind of between it's the Cook County Forest Preserve, but there's a trails there, and I want to say it's like the the Red Barn or and I'm sorry, I'm not, your listeners will know, uh, and I'm I'm sorry it's blanking in front of me, but Red Barn or Red, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what the name is, but it's it's kind of right off of 55 uh, at Lagrange Road, and it is a delight. The trails back there, the forest preserve, the ponds, the 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 wildlife, the it is really well done, and it's a great uh, escape from the city within twenty twenty five minutes. Uh, it's free. It's it's 
brilliant and beautiful. And I discovered it this fall and I've been there twice in the fall and, and I love it. So if you're looking for that kind of experience walking in the woods, I would recommend that. And, and I saw it on Southside. Is that, is that how you <laughs> found it? And then, no, no, no. I saw just, this is last oh. week I was watching, I was watching an episode and I'm like, huh. That's exactly where we were, and I'm like, yeah, they shot in the uh, in Lagrange. So there's some, yes, give them credit. There's some amazing places in the Chicago area. I mean, especially broadly yeah. speaking, at Star Rock, Matthias, and State Park, places like that that are not that far away. Like it's a, it's a, certainly a plausible outing to have with your family on it. You can wake up on a Sunday yeah. morning and take a trip out and take a nice long walk and eat at a nice yeah. restaurant and, and make it back. I got about another minute here. Uh, any predictions you want to make for the year? It's Justin Kaufman from Axios Chicago yeah. who watches all the news for the rest of us who don't have time to do it. Uh, I think the news, story, the news story to watch, because I think it's going to have some, some I, I'm fascinated by the politics behind the property tax situation, the delays and the increases in Cook County that happened, or in Chicago that happened just this, right before uh, the holiday. The next bill for 2020, the 2022 bill comes due in February. There have not been any moves yet to delay that. There's some uh, whispers that that may be happening, the, another delay. But people are going to be outraged that they have to turn around a month after dropping a high percentage of, of, of new taxes. Uh, they have to do it again in a month's time. So I think you're going to get a lot more finger pointing from the assessor's office, the Cook County Board of Review, the treasurer's office. It really is a political quagmire there. They don't like each other there, Eric. <laughs> the Cook County Democrats are, are not all on the same page when it comes to property taxes in the city of Chicago. That's, that's for sure. Hey, and he uh, got, got a name for the next mayor of Chicago? Who's going to be? Oh, right. I, I'm surprised to see – I'm not surprised to see Chewy Garcia taking a lead early. It's way early. So when you see, you know, a couple of polls coming out in December. But anything can happen. I, I, I would not rule out the incumbent, and especially if nobody uh, steps up and shows strength or or – uh, that hope and change that that Chicago loves so much. Wants, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I I like I like to see the 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 amassed power of Brandon Johnson. Uh, surprised to me that he's got so much endorsements for such a small uh, political career. So I'm interested to hear him more on the on the public stage, and I'm I'm definitely want to see how. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot responds to uh, poll numbers being low because, you know, a lot of it is, you know, it's 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 an incumbent's job. But at the same time, none of these candidates or any mayors before her had to deal with a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> that's Justin. So, that's, that's Justin Coffin from Axios Chicago. Got to run. Justin, thanks so much for being on. Everyone subscribe to Axios Chicago. Justin, I'll talk to you soon. See you later. Ron. You're the best. Thanks, thanks Eric. You're the only voice of reason on the radio. You give me hope. Having listened to you every day. Thank you for your clear insight. Always felt a little bit smarter. I listen to you every single day. I keep coming back to this station, and thank you for what you do. On WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. Hey, it's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito today. She's on holiday, as they say in Great Britain. And I'm joined right now by Brandon Pope who is a member of the Mincing Rascals podcast team. I know that's the first line on his resume. He also happens to be the host of On the Block at WCIU-TV. He's the host of the Becoming podcast at Chicago Public Media, WBEZ. Uh, hits to all fields. Brandon, happy birthday, right? Yesterday? 
Yeah, yesterday was the birthday. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's great to talk to you, man. Oh, we have to get something out of the way right away, though, and that oh, is boy. that oh, I know boy. that uh, I'm a Michigan man, a Michigan grad, uh, and Brandon <laughs> is an Ohio State fan from childhood, and this is the week where I think we can both be on the same page. I hope we are on the same page. I am rooting for your Buckeyes this, uh, this Saturday night against Georgia, and I hope you're rooting for my Wolverines against TCU. These are the four teams in the college football playoffs. Now, Michigan and Ohio State hate each other every other day of the year, but I feel like this this Saturday, we should be rooting for each other because a, a rematch of last November's game when Michigan, yeah, who won that game? I guess Michigan, <laughs> I guess Michigan won that game, but, but, but a rematch, wouldn't that yeah, be like... Yeah, we had a chance to... I know. You haven't really had a chance yet to really rebat me yet. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. I'll I, take it. I have not. I have not. And, and of course, Ohio State won like 14 of the 15 games before before 21. So I have no uh, – I can't do any uh, any, <laughs> any sack dancing about that. But, but I just think it would be yeah. so great if Michigan played Ohio State again for the national championship. I mean, that, and, of course, you know, they've, they've both got to win their semifinal games this Saturday. But I will be rooting for Ohio State. And I'll tell you something. If Michigan loses to TCU, God forbid Michigan loses, I'll still root for the Buckeyes because I, I have Big Ten pride. That's, that's, well, there you go. There you go. I know that a lot of Michigan fans would just be vomiting to hear that. And I'm sure Ohio State fans, most of them would be the same because there's <laughs> – well, hey, you know, about celebrating the greatest rivalry in sport. Exactly. The Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. So exactly. To have that at the national championship? Oh, I my mean, goodness. Yeah, I, I want that. Today. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I know you want a rematch, too. That's the other thing. Oh, I, I, need, I need a rematch. Yeah. Look, Eric. Look, you, you can talk a lot about what happened these past two Michigan games. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't go my way. But I have a feeling that if it was a rematch, this Ohio State team, if they beat Georgia, first of all, get there, that tells me – your your Wolverines are in trouble if they play Ohio State again. I, that, that's what I think. I, who knows? I, you know, Ohio State looked really, really good all year. They didn't look very good in Columbus against the Wolverines. So it was a month ago or so. There's, but it was, but it was uh, that was kind of a one off. They looked they looked really good most of the season. And Michigan had a lot of trouble. Uh, in the first half against a whole lot of teams. They were losing to Rutgers at halftime, for God's sake. I mean, this is... Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, this is not... If Michigan plays their game, if they play their game against TCU, they run the ball, they control the clock, they play good defense, they're going to win that. Oh, yeah. I think. I mean, and they're the favorites, and they should be, and uh, it's uh, it's yeah. going to be an exciting game. And, and Michigan, last year, I think they were just felt lucky to be in the Final Four, and they got clobbered by Georgia, and Georgia was a great team. It was basically an NFL team, right? I mean, they were really, really good. And um, this yeah. year, this year Georgia's not quite as stacked as they were last year. And Ohio State, you know, they had that stumble against Michigan, but but uh, mm. they're an awfully good team. And I would love to see the see the rematch. Welcome to sports talk. <laughs> sports talk. <laughs> sports Chicago sports talk. sports talk. Let's talk trades. Let's talk Justin Fields. Now, I, I'm really I'd lo- I'd like to just catch people up on what it is you've been what it is you're up to these days. Um, I believe, you know, I think we spoke on the radio like a year ago, uh, and I don't think, when, when did you start on the block? That was that was less than a year ago, right? The it show. was less than a year, yeah. It's yeah. about to be a year, I think, in February. Right. Um, it's been a great year. It's been fun. It's, it's a hyper-local news show uh, in sync with Block Club Chicago, amazing hyper-local news site. Um, and we work with the reporters and journalists to tell neighborhood stories across the city and bring it to a visual medium. 
Um, and so far, people are loving it. We've won a few awards for nonprofit news and digital and stuff like that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next year has to has to give us to yeah, so, some big stuff coming. So the idea is that you're working you're working with Walk Club Chicago, which is if people yeah. people may not know what that is. If you don't know what it is, it is a Online only news source that they and they cover the neighborhoods in a way that the major dailies don't, and that the local newspapers that used there used to be little newspapers that covered these neighborhoods, and there still are remnants of those. But the but the uh, the coverage that you're getting from Block Club Chicago is is unlike anything that you're going to be able to get. I'm a, I'm a subscriber supporter, whatever you call them, uh, person who uh, who. Uh, has the has the password to Block Club Chicago? I think it's a it's an it's a great journalistic effort and and uh, and what they've done over there. They, it was they sort of salvaged the scrap, the remnants of DNA info, right? I mean that was it came out of that. Yeah. And, and exactly. And, yeah. and and Ricketts pulled the plug on DNA info. I don't know, wasn't making enough money or something for him. And uh, Seamus Toomey and I, uh, who are the other, I forget the other people with the leadership over there, Jen Sabella. Stephanie and Jen Sabella. Yeah, yeah I people. mean, that they have, have, uh, have done a, a very uh, incredible job over there keeping people apprised of the news. And it's a, it's a really valuable site. And, uh, and, and so what the idea is that WCIU, where you are, looks for this. Do you actually come up with stories with them or do you take stories that they've done and amplify them for, for video? How does that work? Yeah, a little bit of both. We we tell our own stories and things that we uh, we we basically are part of their pitch meetings every morning. So we kind of collaborate on things. We look for ways to collaborate on stories. Uh, if there's a reporter that's done an investigation or story we like a lot, we'll invite that reporter in and we'll go do a little deeper dive on that. Um, and yeah, we bring our own to the table as well. Uh, we at WCIU have done a really good job in the past of doing some good neighborhood visual unique. You know, stories about people doing great things in the community. We're still doing that. And so we still got that, that Rolodex of contacts and sources. So it's been a great collaboration between these two really creative um, and people focused newsrooms. And I'm really excited for what the future holds for both of us. Uh, it's going to be a, it's a great partnership already. And it's got some great things popping through 2023 as well. Are, are, are you talking about expansion or are you talking about uh, I mean, we say great things. Or are you just thinking about. More stories that look like they're going to be fun. I think I'm talking more stories, and also I think you're going to see some more. Um, I can't really say anything yet. But there's, okay. there's going to be some cool things coming that people are going to be like, "Wow, that's awesome!" So I can't wait. For, I can't wait to be able to talk about. Okay, well, awesome. uh, well, you'll we'll, we'll stay in touch as we always do through the Mincing Rascals. But um, uh, the, but the other thing that you're really involved with, which I think is, is extremely cool, is that you're hosting the Becoming podcast at Chicago Public Media. Um, making, making, making. What, yeah. Why is it becoming making, making? That's right. It's got the same vibe. Same, becoming, same idea. Does. Becoming, breaking. Tell me about how that. I mean, you were in the the early uh, iterations of that had uh, Oprah and Barack Obama, and you were not you were not involved in those projects, right? No, no. So this is uh, entirely new season in a new format. The the, the show making podcast series from WBEZ. Um, it was hosted by Jen White, public radio legend. Love her. And I've had some great combos with her about how to handle this. Um, and they would take one historic figure or iconic figure and focus an entire season on that figure, like Oprah, Obama, Beyonce. What we did, we, we said, hey, what if we just did that every episode's a different figure? Every episode's a different person. And so that's what we did for this season. Um, I'm now the host of it. 
We're working on the new season as well. Um, we're in pre-production for that. But we just are able to talk to people who knew some of these iconic greats best, people that were there with them from the beginning. So Rihanna, the Rihanna episode, we talked to her producer who discovered her in Barbados. Um, you know, Jesse Jackson, we talked to the political director who, you know, worked with him on his campaigns, and a woman who grew up with Jesse Jackson who wrote a biography on him. Um, and, and others, Ru- RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race, incredible story. Talk about we talked to uh, his roommates from uh, back in the, the New York days. So you hear some really cool, unique perspectives, and you get to see um, just how humble the beginnings were for a lot of these great people. And I think it inspires people too to say, "Hey, you know, they went through you know hardship and adversity. Um, what's to say I can't, you know, with my hardship and adversity, turn that?" And it's something positive as well. So this so is the, <laughs> this is available wherever fine podcasts are served, right? I mean, this is not wherever is, you. Yeah, it's Apple, it's Spotify, it's Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. And I'm sure, and I'm sure the Chicago Public Media site has links. How many episodes are there for the first season? First season was, I believe, eleven episodes. Um, we had a Kanye West episode. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> that missed. Yeah, it never came out uh, because obviously Kanye was Kanye. We recorded it way before he was talking about do, I like do, Hitler and all this type of you stuff. You could do un- so, unmaking Kanye. Unmaking. Well, so we're looking at ways to have a, a new conversation and contextualize what he does. I think that's the important thing, too, is like we don't just talk about all these figures and do PR and pump them up. Uh, we talk about everything. We get into the gray of their lives. We have a Kobe Bryant episode. Ooh. And as many know, Kobe's a legendary player, but there's also that, that sexual assault case. And we felt like we have to address that. And we need to have a conversation about that, too. And so I look forward to doing the same thing for Kanye and many other figures in the future, having a good objective look at their lives, what, what was great, what was not so great, and what their legacy is today. I think those are important conversations. You know, I'm I'm having everybody who I'm having on today. I'm going to ask them for three recommendations of uh, of just anything: a TV show, restaurant, uh, vacation destination, anything they want to talk about. Um, and I want your three after the commercial break, so you have a little bit of time to prepare if you haven't already. And I did warn you about this, Brandon. So this is <laughs> you did. I'm you talking did. to Brandon Pope of WCIU and Chicago Public Media. I'm Eric Zorn, sitting in for Joan Esposito. This is WCPT AM 820, and we'll be right back after this. The Devil's Advocates. Why is squeezing the labor force and squeezing the consumer, that is somehow the response to inflation. And sure, I get it, we're a consumer-driven economy. But what you're doing is you're squeezing each and every household. You're saying, we're going to make it more expensive for you to borrow, for you to buy. But you know what a better response might have been? A windfall profits tax. The Devil's Advocates, weeknights at 7 on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You got to tell that announcer that I'm not Joan Esposito. I don't look anything like her. It's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan. I'm usually on with Joan 4:30 on Thursday afternoons. We talk about what's in the Picayune Sentinel, which is my weekly newsletter. And uh, this week I'm sitting in for the whole time, and I've been fortunate to be joined by some wonderful guests. And right now I'm talking to Brandon Pope of WCIU TV and Chicago Public Media WBEZ. 
And I have been asking Brandon, all of the guests who are coming on with me today, for three recommendations of anything. What are you telling people they got to do, watch, eat, see, anything? Oh, man. There's so many things out there. This is a tough question for me. But you can go I'll over. start with a TV show. You can go I'll start with a TV show. Yeah, go show. ahead. What's that? Severance on Apple TV. Ooh, yes. Severance is a show. It's from Ben Stiller. It's a psychological, technological thriller. Um, and it's about work-life balance. It's about this not-too-distant future where technology is made where you can sever your memories and compartmentalize them. So you can have a work life and a non-work life. And what happens at work stays at work. And you only know of things that happen at work. And then once you walk out of work, you don't even know what happened at work. And you're back to life and vice versa. But this creates a lot of ethical questions, uh, a lot of mystery that unravels as people who are part of this severance package, in a sense, of their, of their memories, start to question what they're even doing. What happens in the company they work in? Why are things happening the way they are and how it impacts their lives? It's pretty fascinating, and I will say it's the best season finale of a TV show I've seen in a very long time. I agree agree with that assessment. I'm sure it was the greatest finale, but it was a terrific finale. Um, I haven't thought of it. I mean, like, I just watched the Sopranos finale, which is kind of a – I mean, I don't know the last person – I'm the last person in America to watch it, but that was pretty great. But, but yeah, the the, uh, the severance (laughs) is fascinating and the questions that it it poses. And it's – talk about a cliffhanger in terms of where where this is going to go. Yeah, severance is a great – that's a great recommendation. What else? Oh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, another one. It's a documentary. It's called We Need to Talk About Cosby. Um, It's about Bill Cosby. Um, But it's the best documentary and examination of Bill Cosby that I have ever seen. Um, It's from W. Kamal Bell, who you may know from his work at CNN. He's a comedian. And he dives into what made Bill Cosby this cultural icon some things people may not know about what led him to be this civil rights icon in a sense, too, but also talks to the women impacted, um, the, the victims of Bill Cosby, um, and details, really in gruesome detail, uh, his manipulation and the wicked things he did um, while on The Cosby Show. They, they talked to The Cosby Show producer who knew that this was happening. He talked to actors who knew all this was happening. And it's just really a fascinating, I think, a three-part look into the Cosby phenomenon before, you know, present and the future. And I think it's it's really worth a lot of people's time. Do you know where it's streaming? If it's streaming, uh, it's on. It's a Showtime documentary. So if you have Amazon Prime and you have a Showtime extension. You can watch it that way or YouTube TV or just your your own Showtime app. But that, that's probably the best way to see it is through that. You can search that. Well, just apropos of Cosby, I saw in the news that he's now planning a comeback tour. He wants to go and, and uh, play arenas again, I guess. Uh, I'm worried people are going to show up in droves for that. They, really they will. That's the thing. I mean, they're defenders. He does yeah. still have defenders. And, and uh, it's nauseating to think that that's going to happen. But... Uh, you know, there may be a second act for this guy. Uh, it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to just tell jokes, 
right? I mean, he had this one of the the things that he did with his stand up was that it had this really authentic feel that he was really telling you things that actually happened in his life this, that he was reflecting on on his. I, I haven't seen this documentary, but I mean, that's always seemed to me to be the appeal of Cosby was that he wasn't just up there telling jokes; he was telling stories, and the stories were true. And so, how do you sit there and and and, and tell stories when the, everyone in the entire room is thinking, well, what about the story that you were drugging women and having sex with them? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the wild parts, Eric, about his comedy that I think a lot of people kind of missed or didn't realize is he he talked openly about drugging women in a lot of his comedy. Um, he talked about this thing called Spanish fly that you drop in a woman's drink. And they'll do whatever. And he talks about this, not on one comedy album, but numerous, not in one interview, but like Larry King interviews, all kinds of interviews. Like he was pretty out there and open about in his comedy, his, his, what he calls womanizing, but really what we know as, you know, being a predator. Yeah. And just uh, like rape to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we're going to see what happens. So was was he talking about this? Like, like it was funny or was he, was he admitting it? Was he, was he being serious? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You should look it up. I think everyone should look up the Spanish fly joke from Bill Cosby. And it gets roaring laughter and applause. And he's told it quite a few times about how you slip this thing called Spanish fly into a drink. And it just makes the ladies go wild. And there's even episodes of the Cosby show, Eric, that ooh, that's why this documentary is so great. It was right there in our face. He's openly joking about adding things to things to make women do things. And it's really disgusting. Uh, and, it's, 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 uh, and, and also, so disgusting is this idea that he's that he's going to be doing a comeback tour, and that he'll probably right. be, probably be embraced uh, by certain people. Okay, so that's two. You got you got a third one. I do. Sorry to be on a dark note there, but now let's go on the up note. Uh, evening activities. I think something everyone should look into is this great restaurant called Virtue in Hyde Park. It's sophisticated soul food, one of my favorite places in the city. I'm talking short rib, collard greens, mac and cheese, cornbread, and great cocktails, too. Uh, they got a, what they call a brown-fashioned, basically an old-fashioned um, with cinnamon added and some other ingredients. Uh, it's nice. It's quaint. It's quiet. Great playlist of music in the background. Great date spot. Great hangout spot. Virtue in Hyde Park's the place to be. And then if you want to have some after moves, I say go over to Lazy Bird in West Loop. It's a speakeasy. They got live music, live band every night, and it's always a great time. Yeah, it's really funny because Justin Kaufman, uh, who uh, told me I just talked to him last half hour, and he wanted me to pass along his regards to you. We were talking about what a what a great guy you are, and uh, <laughs> so he said, "Say hello to Brandon." Virtue was one of his recommendations too. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, but hey, if you're hearing it from multiple people. That means you got to go. And and uh, I got to tell you, the, one of the other things that he recommended TV show was Southside. I don't know. Do you have an opinion yes. about that? Oh, yeah. it's the most Chicago show ever made. It's just so funny. You well, got to watch. That. He said it, he said it was better than than the Bear, which he also liked. But yeah. as as a Chicago, the Bear is great. Yeah, I, I like the bear too. The whole, the whole, uh, the whole thing. I have not seen Southside. I watched the bear, but I got to, I got to put Southside on my list. I have watched Severance. I think it's, it's really a, a very powerful uh, thing. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not, Eric, I'm not I need your reaction. I need your reaction to Southside. I got to see you watch that. It's, it's so. Oh, <laughs> what, what is that? What do you mean by that exactly? My reaction. You think it's, it's a, such a Chicago show, and it's like Chicago humor, but I don't know how to explain it. The characters, the zaniness. 
being a man who's who's you know in Chicago and you've been in Chicago so long, these are, you're gonna you're really just gonna have a great time with this. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, that, that's a, that sounds wonderful. It's gotta be on my list, so I gotta do that. Hey, this is Brandon Pope. We're talking to. He is at WCIU TV. Watch, watches watches uh, his show on the block. He's also the host of the Making Podcast on WBEZ, the uh, Chicago Public Media. You gotta listen to that. Eleven seasons. You can eleven episodes. First season is out. Find it on Apple Podcasts. I'm Eric Zorn, sitting in for Joan Esposito. Thanks, Brandon, and we'll talk to you soon on the Mincing Rascals. I hope. Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito today, and I want to... uh, I've been talking to a bunch of stellar guests. Talked to Justin Kaufman earlier. Talked to Brandon Pope in the last half hour. Going to be talking to Kate Plies coming up in just a moment. I wanted to add Monica Eng, who was of, of Axios Chicago, and she was going to be on with Justin. Her father's in the hospital. We're wishing him the best. But she wanted to add her picks. I'm asking everybody for their three recommendations. You know, what do you got to do? She added um, Southside, the uh, TV show. And that was one of Justin's picks, too. She also recommends the mushroom chicken sandwich. She has chicken in quotes, so I guess maybe it's <clears throat> mushroom made up to look like chicken uh, from <clears throat> Majani and Soul and Smoke Barbecue Brisket on the Metropolitan Brewing Deck. That's uh, what she said here. And she said people should go enjoy it today. So that's Monica Eng. Um, smoke Barbecue Brisket on the Metropolitan Brewing Deck. Uh, Monica's uh, the food maven, so so uh, I am joined now by Kate Plies, and Kate is the author, proprietor of Roseland Chicago 1972. She's a veteran Chicago journalist and uh, an old friend, and I want to say hi, Kate. Hey, hi, Eric. I hope you can hear me. I'm I, not used to the clean feed. I, I can just, yeah, we're, we're using this technology called clean feed that makes it sound more like you're in the studio with me. It's a little less distracting than the phone. And uh, everything works pretty well. It's be- It's a little bit better quality of audio than you get from Zoom. And uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, like I said, it's better than... Th- so anyway, Kate, tell me about Rosalind Chicago in 1972. Um, this is uh, an amazingly broad project. And I just... Tell me how it got started and where it's going and everything about it. It's just uh, Rosalind Chicago, 1972. A broad project. That, that's a kind way to put it as opposed to what the heck are you doing over there? No, um, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I was very impressed. Um, it, it, but it is very broad because it's uh, the heart of it. Um, and it is a Substack, like your Picayune Sentinel. It is on Substack. The heart of it is a novel that follows some characters who are 10 years old in 1972 who grow up in Roseland. And then they've got their plot in 1972, and then they're going to meet up again as adults in 2003. And so we're, you're, you're going to get a whole different plot there, mm-hmm. although the two are, of course, connected. Um, but basically, it, it really spread from there in the doing of it organically, I want to say, because as I wrote, I realized my my own kids aren't going to understand this. They won't understand that, you know, that I'm writing about that happens in 1972. 
so that they literally won't even know some uh, of what I'm talking about. So they won't understand the motivations of the characters. Just uh, the, the first thing that came to me was really my characters are all Catholic, growing up in a very Catholic place. Well, my husband and I are atheists. We didn't raise our kids that way. <laughs> so, um, frankly, but you, but you, but you school, were you were raised. You're both raised. Catholic, right? Oh, oh my God, yes. Okay, oh my so God, well, so, so okay. Continue. But, sorry. Uh, well, so the characters are very much in that world, which really does take over everything. If you are a real believer and your family is, uh, it, it matters if you go to mass. It matters if you go to communion. Um, you believe all these things, and if that's part of the motivation of your characters, which not to give away too much of my plot, but it, uh, uh, the 1972 part uh, with the kids, because that is their world, it is very, very much part of it. I realized that was the first thing that had occurred to me. My kids don't even know what confession is. How, they don't know what communion is. How are they going to understand this? How will they understand that? And so I just began researching starting there and uh, just including more and more uh, and I don't want to break up the story too much. So what I've what I've ended up doing is is having a lot of um, completely optional footnotes, completely optional chapters on Chicago history that come up as places, people, things appear in the story. So um, as opposed to just deciding that you might want to learn about the beginning of Chicago, maybe you're impelled to learn it when you understand that the character in 2003 works in a building right next to where the city began, for instance. So that's how it kind of, uh, Chicago history kind of comes in organically throughout the story. Well, just to orient people, Roseland is a neighborhood, when, when you take the Dan Ryan South and, and then it splits, 57 right. goes off to Memphis and 94 goes off down into Indiana and then off to Michigan. Um, and it's, it's in the crook of that split. It's right there. Uh, it's it's <clears throat> between Pullman and Beverly, kind of. Is that fair to say? And uh, Mount, that's Mount, Mount, Mount Greenwood, that that whole area. But it's, it's like it's right in that. In that, that's about where if you're going to locate that that neighborhood, uh, if you're in your mind, yeah. mind's eye about Chicago, it's uh, it's south side. That's a good way to work. Yeah, yeah, good way to orient it. Um, and it's also uh, Roseland. Uh, if you look at the community map. Um, Roseland is, is comprises a somewhat smaller section of what people from the area would call Roseland. So, for instance, everyone I know who grew up in West Pullman will say, I'm from Roseland. They're not going to say, I'm from West Pullman. So, Greater Roseland comprises really all the way down practically to the southern city limits um, in an expansive sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but that's, that's basically the area we're talking about. That's fair enough. And, 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 south, and um, where, where did you grow south up then? South. Where did you grow up? Well, I actually grew up right over the border in Dalton. Okay. So just um, just down there by Riverdale, Dixmore, and Burnham, that, sort of that area down there. So far, exactly. so, far, far south. Yeah. So yeah. Wh why did you pick Roseland then for the site of your... Well, Roseland, right. Well, yeah, my family is south side from South Shore and from east side in Hegwish. But I picked Roseland because my husband is from Roseland. You know Ron, obviously. Yes, I do know Ron, yes. Yeah. 
Ron's from Roseland, and I think anyone can tell you, anyone who grew up in Roseland can't stop talking about Roseland. <laughs> oh, Roseland, it's the best place ever. It gets kind of irritating sometimes. Um, but it's really, it, it is such an iconic sort of neighborhood with all these um, uh, huge landmarks like Gately's People's Store is, is like a tiny Marshall Fields on the south shot side. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, 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 from, you know, at that point, it's almost like a, a tiny Bedford Fall sort of thing stuck in the city, you know, it, from the complete nostalgia viewpoint. Um, <laughs> Right. And, of course, one of the things you've been doing with this is this sort of Chicago 50 years ago on this day. Uh, and this is whole yes. – I mean, wh- and, and why people should go and check out your entire website, which is it's not – it is this novel that you're writing, but it's also a resource. It's a, it's a time capsule. Uh, and you've really dug deep into Chicago history from 50 years ago. You'll be saying what Mike Royko's writing about, what's in the news that day, the important stories, maybe the less important stories that are actually getting people's attention and so on. It's just a, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating time capsule. And I don't know how you do it. I mean, if you're, the, uh, the uh, amount of work that must go into to that kind of I – mean, this stuff is not online, a lot of it, is it? Or, or is it online? No. Oh, no. Some of it's online, but a lot of it is microfilm, microfilm, microfilm. Um, Yeah, that's a whole separate section from the novel. If you want to really get into the 1972 world of the characters, then you can jump into the section called This Crazy Day in 1972. And it goes week by week um, and then within that day by day. Um, just looking at all the insane stuff, and it is just insane going on in 1972, reflected in all five newspapers, because we had five daily newspapers then. Um, and it is so amazing to see what's going on and see it from the different viewpoints of the different newspapers, be it because they're far right, Republican Tribune, or, you know, a little bit more liberal Sun Times or from the black perspective from the defender. It's uh, it's and, and it is quite a time capsule. But as you say, um, well, maybe you didn't say this, but I'll say this as crazy as people might think today is you go back to 1972 and I have to I have to bet on it's even crazier. Well, refresh our memories. What was going on in 1972? It was so crazy. Well, I mean, like, the the year opens up with um, three time bombs planted in um, bank deposit boxes in the three biggest banks downtown that have to be found and diffused by the Chicago Police Department. Um, and that is like, it's a big deal. But the funny thing is, for 1972, it falls out of the headlines pretty quick because people are kind of almost used to things being bombed. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, uh, a lot of people almost got blown up. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm just trying to remember some of the things that were happening in 72 on the national stage. That was, of course, the year that uh, Nixon ran for re-election under a cloud. Um, was Kent, Kent State yes. was 71? When right, was Kent that State? That was, oh gosh, I'm not sure, but it wasn't in 72. It was definitely earlier. Um but you're definitely watching Watergate. If you if you are interested and you you actually begin at the beginning of 1972 and kind of dip into it uh, piece by piece, uh, 
you, you, you can watch Watergate, you know, kind of starting and, and rolling up slowly but surely. It's just, you know, a little, there's a burglary over here. And uh, some some Democrats just won't shut up about this burglary <laughs> uh, until, you know, even right before the election, uh, which I kind of fell behind on my daily uh, posting so that I'm actually just about to get to the 1972 election. But um, even at the time of the election, a lot of people mm, not that worried about, about Watergate, not really caring about it too much. Well, obviously, Nixon won in a landslide, right? I mean, he, right, he right. Had, I forget how many states he won, but that, that election wasn't even close. So the, yeah. the, the concerns. Though, at that time, I'm sorry to interrupt, no. but I was just going to say, I was, I'm thinking to myself, because sometimes I know what's going to happen simply from having been alive and heard about it. Sometimes I, I will um, have researched the story all the way to the end. Sometimes, though, I'm just kind of going along going, what's going to happen next week? And, and I did not remind myself how quickly the Watergate story would break. But by the time of the election, it was clear that Nixon's closest aides were involved, including attorney, you know, now former attorney general John Mitchell. It was obvious that there was no way he didn't know about it. There is obviously all kinds of dark money involved and other shenanigans trying to, um, mess with the Democratic election. I don't know if you remember, but remember the whole Ed Muskie cries thing in the primary that year? Well, you know, I'm a little older than you, I think, Kate, but I don't really re- I mean, I do remember that story because I've been told it, but I think at that age, all I was thinking about was sports and girls. I don't remember really thinking about it. Okay, that's fair. But let me ask you this. Were, were you like uh, as big a political geek then as you became later in life? I mean, were you, were you, as a kid, you were following this? Uh, no, I would say I had always heard about the musky cries thing, but I didn't really bother reading about it very much at the time, even though I was absolutely reading the papers and flipping through them. Well, the paper we got because we got the daily news, but, you know, flipping past the boring stuff like musky cries. But the thing is, I knew about Muskie Cries. Ed Muskie was a senator, for people who don't know, who was running in the primary. He was the front runner. Mayor Daley was pushing him real hard. Um, And then he made a speech in New Hampshire defending his wife against some accusations. And it was kind of in the middle of a snowstorm. And it looked like he was crying. And it sounded maybe like he was crying. He probably wasn't. He almost certainly wasn't. It was probably just snow on his face. But because people thought he was crying about his wife, that was it. He was out of it. It reminds me of Howard um, Howard Dean. Remember when Howard Dean yes. says yeehaw a little bit too loud into a microphone right. and his campaign is over. Right. And then you've got Donald Trump who's, who's calling uh, John McCain not a war hero and making fun of disabled yeah. people. And everyone's just fine with that. And uh, But and- here's the thing about Muskie. That whole thing was part of the Nixon campaign's dirty tricks. They planted the story – that got printed in the New Hampshire paper that got Ed Muskie to go out and defend his wife. So they, he, they were knocking out their, his Nixon's best competitors on purpose. Good old tricky dick. 
Um, yeah. This is Kate. I'm talking to Kate Plies. Kate is the proprietor of Roseland Chicago in 1972. You can find that on Substack. You just search for that. Um, Kate, I've been asking everybody for their recommendations, three things that uh, that they are telling people they got to watch, do, eat, see, go all to, right. whatever. All right. Severance but already got stolen from me. I'm good. No, it's all right. You can, you, can, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, Virtue, the restaurant, uh, Brandon Pope recommended Virtue down in Hyde Park, down mm-hmm. by where you live. And, uh, and so that we can do duplicates. It's fine. Maybe that okay, just re- reinforces that. But I, wa- I want to do that after the break. This is WCPT sure. AM 820. I'm Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito, and that's Kate Plies. And we'll be right back after these words. Live, local, and progressive returns right now on WCPT 820. Hey, it's Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito, who is off today. I'm usually here with Joan on Thursdays at 4.30. We talk about what's in my newsletter, The Picayune Sentinel, which is on Substack. Also on Substack is Kate Plies's ambitious project, Roseland, Chicago, 1972. It's a novel. There's also resources to talk about this crazy day back in 1972. Uh, If you're a Chicago history geek or if you're just just interested in Chicago history, Great place to visit, and the story she's writing, the novel she's writing, is uh, it's, it's uh, compelling, and I really highly recommend it. And Kate, you just you've just come out. Uh, you were writing it anonymously for the first year or so, right? And you just decided to put your put your name on it finally. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is getting too meta, but the novel is written by an unnamed narrator who you're not going to find out who it is until the very end of the book. And I kind of felt like I'm doing the whole website as that person. So I was like, it doesn't make sense to put my name on it, you know, but okay, fine. It was too meta. Uh, I just figured, okay, fine. It's not a state secret. I'll just put my name on it. And so many of us do. And I even, I think I blew your cover at one point in my newsletter. I had to try to fix it because I wasn't aware that you weren't being public about it at the time. But anyway, all is forgiven, I hope. And now you can tell me your, <laughs> you can tell me your three recommendations of anything you want. And I understand you may have more, but that's fine. Um, I, three was just a guideline. So what do you got? Well, uh, you know what? I was interested in pointing people to three Southside places to actually uh, to go to. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I've been listening and it's been so great to hear other Southside stuff recommended because I thought I'd be the only one to do it. So that's great. Southside getting all kind of love today. Um, the first two places, it, it, it's, they're such good, easy day trips. We're talking about day trip easier, both and especially for the winter. Um, Glessner House and Roby House. They're both on the South Side. They're both amazing private residences designed by amazingly, you know, famous architects, Roby House, Frank Lloyd Wright in Hyde Park. Glessner House is over in the Prairie Avenue Historical District. Um, uh, Richardson, um, H.H. Richardson, who designed that house, not as readily, you know, recognizable in name, but he influenced um, Frank Lloyd Wright, Louis Sullivan, and, and everybody else. Um, and the house is just incredible. Both houses, just amazing. And they're, they're, they are great for, for a weekend, you know, Saturday jaunt with the family. Um, because the, the tours, it's not just like you go in and you walk up some stairs, you know, the, the tours really get you into the history of the house and the architecture and the families who live there. 
And then you're in a really good both places and great neighborhoods to just get out and walk around and look and have a bite to eat. Um, with Glessner House, I would just say I would go over to Flo and Santos on Wabash, which is a combination Italian and Polish place. They've got this interesting pierogi dish, which is called ravarogi, which is like ravioli and pierogi together. Totally great. And uh, good pizza and burgers as well. Okay. And what, uh, and what about Roby House? Where do, you, where do you eat from there? Well, with Roby House, um, it's funny. I was going to suggest actually that um, because I'm not quite as high class as um, your other guests, I was going to suggest going to Valoa See Your Food for breakfast first on 53rd Street, just down the block from Virtue, but so much cheaper. Um, great, great place. Uh, really high park classic place to go for breakfast. And, and can you uh-huh. Say the name again. What was it? It's spelled V-A-L-O-I-S. Most people in the neighborhood will say either Valois or Valois, and then they'll fight about which way you should say it. So actually, my it, it, the, the, the big sign says Valois or Valois, and then says, see your food. So I know we got so tired of fighting with people about how it was pronounced. We just call it see your food. Okay. All right. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to be posting these uh, in the Picayune Sentinel, my Substack newsletter, all the recommendations, and so I, that's why I want to get the spelling right. So, all right, what else? You, oh, what, what else you got? What else you got? Well, maybe more towards spring. Although you could go now. I wanted to just uh, give a plug to Pullman. Um, of course, now it's a national historic park. It's right next to Roseland. They're really kind of connected. Um, well, all right, they're really kind of separated by the IC tracks, but. Um, it's, it's, you know, very much a, a connected community out there. Um, but it's, it's an amazing national park. The only one of its kind, I believe, that's really a city neighborhood. And as you know, I'm sure, and, and probably a lot of your listeners, it was created by the Pullman company, George Pullman, to be a town where he could control his workers and have them be the perfect workers. So the architecture is all connected it's different from any place else in the city, and they've really been working so hard over there to um, to set up the exhibits and, and that sort of thing. If you wait until spring, there's also a separate Pullman House project um, where this other group is um, taking individual houses and making those um, a, a whole experience in and of themselves. And I believe the one that's right across from the National Monument, Pullman National Monument headquarters, um, is going to is called the Pullman Club. And I believe that should be open with regular hours, with a coffee shop and everything, if they wait a little bit more towards spring. By spring, um, cool. that's that's a neighborhood walk. Okay. so it's good for for a little bit better weather. All right, got more. Um, I, I'll give another plug to Severance. I don't usually go this overboard, and I haven't since Breaking Bad. But this is this is a show that, if I had time, I would totally create a nonprofit organization to just promote it to everybody. I just want everyone to watch it so I can talk to everyone about it. It's incredible. It is, you know, both John Turturro and Christopher Walken are in it, and they're not even the major characters. 
Yeah, no, it's it's an amazing show. Um, you mentioned Breaking Bad, and uh, one of the things that I've been recommending to people who haven't watched it is The Sopranos. I, I'm like one of the last people in America to watch The Sopranos. Johanna, <laughs> Johanna and I started watching it like after I mean, fifteen years after the the finale that the whole nation was talking about. We started watching it, and it's like you know eighty some episodes. But what a great what a great show that is! But it feels weird to recommend that to people because everyone looks at you like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, we know that it's 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 the beauty of of streaming now that that you can do that that we're not tied to just what what came out recently. Um, oh my God, if you're going to catch up with any show, it should be The Sopranos. Well, I was talking last night to somebody who said that Better Call Saul is which is which is I is it a prequel or a, 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 but it's related to Breaking Bad it is a prequel way. prequel to Breaking Bad it is Bad. a prequel to Breaking Bad it's it's amazing how they managed to do that have all these characters who are already middle-aged and Breaking Bad come back and be younger than they were in Breaking Bad but the thing is is that everyone loves them so much we all pretend we don't see that Bob Odenkirk you know obviously no matter what they do has kind of a bad toupee and um but he's not supposed to, uh, not yet, and and that sort of thing. It doesn't matter because I, I would also, yeah, kind of go overboard on Better Call Saul. It's a it's a different show, but it becomes slowly becomes Breaking Bad. Can you the watch closer, it? Closer you, which order should you watch it in? Should you watch Breaking Bad first because that's when it, ca- it came out first? Right? You can do either one you want, and it's fine. But I would go with Breaking Bad first because it is really fascinating to see Breaking Bad first. And then see the genesis of it that they didn't even know when they started it. There are so many things that there's no way they had in mind when they did Breaking Bad. And it's so fun to see the gymnastics that they went through to make up this amazing story that absolutely fits in every possible way with Breaking Bad. You don't completely appreciate that, I think, if you watch it in the right order. When you when you talk about aging people, or, or I, I was thinking of um, uh, Fleischman is in trouble. Are you watching that? No, I have not uh, seen that one yet. Should I, I? I? Yeah, I've only watched two episodes, and people I know and trust just love that show. <clears throat> and uh, I guess I think it just wrapped up the season like last night or something. But but uh, anyway, they have s- sequences where they flash back like 25 years and Jesse Eisenberg who's, mm-hmm. is all of a sudden he's like got big mop top hair and everything like that. It seems to work. It worked OK. <laughs> but no, I, people have been recommending that a, a lot. And I've only watched I can't. I can't fully recommend it because I've only seen two episodes, but uh, my show has been has been the bear, uh, which I really like. It's just a nice yeah, I'm, I, absolutely. Uh, you already talked about it, so I wasn't yeah. going to bring that one up. But oh, we were crazy about that show over here too. Cool. The only problem being, anybody who's ever worked in a restaurant. Every episode is like the nightmares that you still have. Oh yes, I, I've I, worked in a restaurant. Yeah, I used to wash dishes in a restaurant. My wife used to be a, a line cook and a server, and she's a lot, a lot of flashbacks in that show. That's Kate Plies. She writes a, a wonderful Substack called Roseland, Chicago, nineteen seventy-two. Please go online and find it and look at all the stuff she's got there. Um, Kate, thanks a lot for joining me today. I'm Eric Zorn. I'm sitting in for Joan Esposito on WCPT AM eight twenty. I'm going to be back in a few minutes with Kate's friend and mine, Neil Steinberg. Talk to you soon. Drought, war, and rising food prices have doubled the number of families facing malnutrition. You can help. $50 provides a food kit to feed a family for a month. Just text the word radio to 97646. 
Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, Joan Esposito is off today, and so I am sitting in for her. I'm Eric Zorn. I publish the Picayune Sentinel, which is a weekly newsletter on Substack. And uh, if you email me, ericzorn at gmail.com, I will sign you up, and you can... Get it for free every Thursday. And you can also, uh, or if you want to write to Neil Steinberg, uh, nsteinberg at suntimes.com, he can sign you up for his daily blog every day it comes out. Uh, that's the name of it. I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of it. Uh, Neil is on the line with us now. Hey, Neil, how are you doing? Oh, he's not on the line. He's not there yet? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to keep talking about Neil Steinberg then while we're waiting to get him on the line. Uh, Neil's an old friend, an old uh, competitor uh, at the Sun-Times. He and I wrote columns uh, against one another at the same time as one another for many years. And uh, I became a Neil Steinberg fan when I was on vacation in Florida back in the 90s, and I read his book, Complete and Utter Failure, and I liked it so much that I reached out to him from vacation to tell him how much I liked it, and uh, we... Went out to lunch when I got back, and we became uh, became friends then. And Neil's written many books since then, and I'm going to have him read a little bit from the book that he has just published uh, when we get him on the line. Um, Neil also has been, for the last, gosh, he's going to have to tell us, I'm going to say 10 years, maybe it's eight years, something like that. He's been writing a blog that uh, comes out every day, his uh, excerpts from his columns. He's got a guest uh, columnist who writes for him on Saturdays. Uh, sometimes these are, uh, oh, he'll take a column that he ran years ago that's particularly relevant again, and he will uh, add that to the uh, uh, to the mix. And he stirs things up. He's got a good commenting community that talks to him about everything that's going on uh, in his blog. Uh, Neil's a voice of reason in Chicago, in my opinion. He's uh, he's a very progressive, uh, liberal, right-thinking gentleman who has written some extremely strong columns against Donald Trump over the years, and uh, and yet at the same time is not necessarily predictable about where he's going to where he's going to come down. So he is uh, he's a treasure in Chicago journalism, in, in my view, and it's someone who is. Uh, um, uh, well situated, I think, to continue to comment on on the news as we lose so many of of our columnists in town. Uh, you know, a, a lot of us have left for various reasons. Mary Schmeek and I left the Tribune along with Steve Chapman, uh, and uh, Darlene Glanton left the paper. Uh, Heidi Stevens is only in once a week, and uh, Rex Hupke left the Tribune. Uh, and 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 they're just not replacing columnists anymore. That um, Mark Brown has left the Sun Times. Uh, Laura Washington left the Sun Times. Came to the Tribune. Uh, John Fountain is now no longer with the Sun Times. And so a, a lot of these voices have just gone on to other onto other formats. And Neil is still there. He's he's writing what I think three four times a week for the Sun Times and is doing a, doing a really wonderful job. And we're still trying to connect with him right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back a little bit to talk for a moment. We're gonna get him on the phone. Great. Um, so you gonna patch him through? How does this work? He's on. Neil, are you there? I can hear you. you... I'm here, Eric. How are you? I just, I just gave you the longest introduction you've ever had. I talked about your, oh, I talked about your childhood in Berea. I talked about your, your trip oh, with your, geez. with your 
with your father to on a, on a boat and uh, your brothers and your... I'm so sorry. I was here ready to receive. Like, there was some sort of technological issue that was beyond my can. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. I just... Now everybody knows who you are, so, so no, there's no no further introductions are needed. I actually had mentioned your latest blog been been up. The blog is embarrassing. Nine and a half years. Uh, so I guessed... I, 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 I guessed eight, so that was pretty good. Yeah, no, it's uh, and uh, so you stole the title. You stole the title. So, but I- yeah, well, they 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 asked me to to write a history book based on the idea, you know, the blog I write every day, and they said, could you do a history of Chicago, dividing it into three hundred and sixty six daily entries? Well, it was sort of a challenge. I mean, I, I you know, I, I developed different things. Well, you've read the book, so you know. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a challenge. Well, the thing that's fascinating to me about it is that it's got everything from the extremely significant days in Chicago to the days that only you would re- you'd only be able to remember and know about if you did the kind of deep dive archival research that you did, uh, which is, which actually, I just had Kate on, Kate Plies, uh, who was our mutual, oh, our, our mutual friend. Yes, I do too. And of course, if you've been following her Roseland, Chicago, Roseland, yeah. Chicago, 1972 project, and she's, she is every bit the dogged researcher that you are, maybe more so uh, in terms of her, her uh, interest in finding out all the little, little details. So can you? I, I wanted to ask you to. And this book, just uh, you, you described it, but I'll just say it again: is it's, it is a history of Chicago told day by day, so that every entry in the book, every chapter, so, so to speak, in the book is is a new day, and it's not chronological. It'll say like, okay, so on on this day, uh, this happened, um, right? And so, so it's, it, it might it might have happened a hundred years ago, it might have happened twenty years ago, ten years ago, whatever. Um, right. So you just pick the most interesting thing that happened on that day, and it's, it's a kaleidoscope. Be- exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so can you just take today, read today's entry for us, and just give us a flavor? Today is a good example. Okay, today was one of those stories that you never needed to know. That I, I put it in because I had the story, and I sort of you know you know a story can be started in various ways. I learned about Hazel Lavery because I did a story on the 90th anniversary of the Dempsey. Tunney fight in Chicago, and uh, the boxer Gene Tunney's son, Jay Tunney, lives in Chicago, and I, I guess this is deep research. I went to visit him, and he had a, a portrait of his father painted by John Lavery, the Irish artist, and he said, of course, he was married to a Chicago girl, uh, Hazel Lavery, and I, my face must have looked extra blank, and he said, you don't know the story of Hazel Lavery, and he gave me a book, and so... I today, December 29th, was the day in 1903, and it's sort of a cheat that the Tribune published the wedding announcement of Hazel Lavery, and so I so it's a, it's a fantastic story, and I, I mean, I'll just sort of read the beginning of it to see how I unspool it. The twin millstones that are time grind us all into uniform powder, into dust, to be blown away. Even a person as lovely and talented, famous and significant as Hazel Lavery, fated to vanish and be forgotten, even in her own hometown, as if she were one of us lesser mortals. Celebrated by W.B. Yates, no less, who name-checks her in the Municipal Gallery Revisited. Hazel Lavery living and dying that tale as though some ballad singer had sung it all. How to begin... 
Today, the Tribune leads its society page with, quote, one of the most beautiful weddings of the year, the bride. And I go in and about the marriage, and I basically point out that had she stayed married, uh, Yates would not be celebrating her. She would not have ended up on the Irish banknotes for 50 years. But her husband dies, and she runs back to Europe to John Lavery, who had been her lover when she was an art student, marries him and has this just incredible life where she's the lover of Kevin O'Higgins and helps create the Irish Free State. And again, it was just one of those Chicago person, you know, to me, the most Chicagoans, 99.999, do not know that someone born in Chicago, her face was on Irish banknotes for 50 years because her husband was an artist and they asked him to provide a portrait of somebody to go on those banknotes. And he, of course, gave his lovely young wife. Um so again, is, how is that significant to Chicago? Well, it's a story of Irish people, which, you know, we have a huge Irish population. And it's just a cool story. I mean, I'm not a historian, as you know. And, and so the stories that I get to tell, I mean, some of them, I just always thought were, were a cool story about Chicago. Whenever I pass uh, the Amoco, the, the Aeon building now, I, I point to it, and whatever guest I'm showing around the city, I say, you know, the skin on that, the marble started to fall off because... They thought they were building a building in Miami, and, and when the Chicago winter started to get to a huge 200-pound sheet started peeling off and falling into the street, and they had to replace the entire skin of the building at a cost almost as much as building the building itself. You know, they, it, it's not the kind of the standard cool architecture story that we get to tell. Um, so, you know, I do that. And, I, of course, I tell the Chicago Fire and Leopold and Loeb and Gacy. But like even with Gacy, you know, with, with well-known stories, that was, those were sort of the biggest challenges because, you know, I don't like to bore my audience. And if you tell them what they already know, uh, then they kind of drift off because, yeah, I know about Gacy. So the story of Gacy begins the day that, that his lawyer filed a lawsuit against the disciplined police department because they were harassing him following him around, trying to connect him with these missing boys. And it just, it's sort of like an out-of-left-field non-sequitur, like, you what? And, and it sort of shows the brazenness of criminals as well, you know, that here they're investigating him, so he turned around and sued them. Then, of course, the next day they started to find the bodies, and the lawsuit didn't get very far. <laughs> so, yeah, not not surprising. Well, the the, you know, the book is from the University of Chicago Press. Um, yes. and, and, uh, and it's been out, what, you, September is when it came out? I can't, I can't remember when oh, the book so party was. October. They, they, rushed, they rushed it out because uh, for Printer's Row. I did a Printer's Row with uh, Sherman Dilla Thomas, the, uh, the TikTok historian. And so they, they rushed it out for that. And uh, then the, the pub date was in October, and uh, New City did a very nice review. I'm talking to Scott Simon next week, which is exciting. So, you know, it, it's... It's a, a weird book of Chicago history, so I don't expect the world to stop and notice, but it, it is, you know, my books do okay, and the beauty of the University of Chicago Press is their other books are about cuneiform and snakes and things, so... Well, I, I mean, I know that, that uh, you know, you and I have had lunch many times over the years while you were working on this, and it, it always seemed like you were just having more fun doing this book than any book that you've done, that it was just a, a, a series of sort of delightful discoveries that you were making as you went along. I love this. I mean, I'm such, you know, I'm, look, the story I always tell about, and I'm a research geek, and if you, let's say your, your job is to find an interesting historical story for a certain day. And the day I, I, I use this example is January 3rd. Now, you go looking for things that happen. Like, you know, there, there are all those on this day in Chicago things. 
and they usually disgorge a fact. On this day in Chicago, January 3rd, 1974, Bob Dylan performed his first concert in eight years after his motorcycle accident. Well, that's not a story. That's just a fact. And so I start to dig into it, and everything's online now, and here's the set list for that concert, and I go over the songs, and there's one song has an asterisk, and it's a world debut, and the song is Forever Young. Okay, well, that's sort of cool. We're getting there. And so then I pull the Tribune's review, and the Tribune, God bless them, not, not to malign your former bosses, but they said they're classical music critic. Um, A guy by the name of... Tom Willis. And Tom Willis, I mean, he probably went himself, because he sort of liked Dylan, but he starts with, you know, first dismissing his voice and his harmonica playing, and then he sort of centers in on his highfalutin diction, and then he focuses in on one song, and he says over and over, in unaccustomed subjunctive case, it repeats the line, may you stay forever young. In the unaccustomed subjunctive case, may you stay. And I, I so love that. And of course, at the end, I can kind of wrap it up and say, you know, it, it didn't, the, the unusual tense did not stop 75 people from, you know, Elvis to Beyonce or whatever to cover this song. And, and nor did it stop them giving him the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2016. But you see how it becomes sort of a more satisfying little tale. And, uh, and I had a lot of, you know, just, I mean, I am a research geek. Like, like the first Ford or automobile was sold to a Chicago dentist. That's a fact, okay, on Clyburn Avenue. So I reached out to, you know, and I need a date. I can't put that in there. What date did that happen? So I contact Ford Motor Company, and God bless them. They sent me a color photocopy of the handwritten, like, Palmer Method ledger where they got the check from him for $850 for his Model A. Um, so, that, you know, it's sort of, it's a very great connection to history when you see, you know, and again, it's in that particular was not the most earth shattering event, but we also have the, the, I was shocked by how much technology I found. Like I, I knew the atom had been split here, you know, although I was very proud of in the, the you know, entry December 2nd, 1943, and Fermi uh, cracks the atom. I'm a journalist, and I, I asked a question which does not get asked much, which was, why did they do it here? You know, everyone knows it's under the stands at Stag Field, you know, an unused handball court. But why did they do this dangerous, unprecedented experiment that Niels Bohr was afraid would set the atmosphere on fire? You know, why do it in the middle of a huge uh, campus, crowded campus in a huge city? And the answer, of course, is they didn't want to do it on the coast because they were afraid the Germans or the Japanese were going to invade. And they, they couldn't, they were supposed to do it in the Argonne Woods, but there was a labor strike and the building wasn't done. And yeah. there was a war on, so they just said, let's do it here. And so, yeah, the community makes, makes, makes history very real as the fact that Fernie looks at his watch and goes, oh, it's lunchtime. And they shut down the whole experiment and they troop over to Hutchinson Commons to go have lunch. The three recommendations, uh, just anything they want to recommend. Uh, I'm going to ask you for yours after the break. This is Eric Zorn okay. sitting in for Joan Esposito on WCPT, 820 a.m. Out Chicago. We're moving forward. We'll be in a Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren, Lauren Bilbert free zone. Let's do Wait, it. We don't even need to talk about mm-hmm. that. Ugh, don't even give oxygen to that fire. No, no. Uh, we've got much better things to, to give uh, oxygen to. People yeah. are out there who are changing the world and doing good things and raising awareness. But the thing is, it's like they're they are clickbait. Oh, they are. They are click. We don't even like them when we're talking about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the problem. Catch Out Chicago every Sunday, 11 to 1 on WCPT 820. 
Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It's Eric Zorn sitting in for Joan Esposito today. She's taking a well-deserved break. And I am talking right now to Neil Steinberg, the author, the columnist, the blogger, the raconteur. And uh, Neil, I uh, we've been talking about your book uh, every day, and I, I'm told that we've been having to bleep the name of the book. Oh, I was I was so impressed that you're using it. Uh, the other stations, Deanna thinks they couldn't do it. Well, it's every uh, GD day, and I guess we're not supposed yeah. to say it, but uh, you can figure it out and find it on uh, at your bookseller or uh, wherever wherever I'm fine books. Please, my name. Yeah, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, this was always a uh, always. A a problem with that name of the book, I guess. There's always a risk, I should say. Three recommendations. Like, Go ahead. Uh, three recommendations. Um, I was going to say real quick. It's like it's like that. Are you are you tall enough? Bar is, is, is roller coasters. If you don't like the name, you won't like the blog. So it, it's designed to drive people away. Don't don't bother being offended because you don't belong. Um, which, you know, look, they, they, there are plenty of things for those people that they can enjoy as well. Just. My blog is one of them. Um, I have a restaurant. Thank God I have two young sons, and they're really great bird dogs. And one of them wanted me to to have brunch at at a place called Supercana International. Have you heard of this? It's an Indian restaurant on diversity. It's a vegetarian restaurant. No. uh, Can you you spell it for me? Super? Yeah, it's it's the word like Supercana, like Hana, K-H-A-N-A, Supercana International on diversity. Okay. It's a strange name uh, for for a vegetarian restaurant, and I, and I thought, well, you know, how what's vegetarian Indian food even like if you can't, you know, how it's chicken tikka masala without the chicken, <laughs> whatever. Um, but it, it was fantastic. It's one of those places, very bright colors, great service. You know, you, you order a salad, and you know, salad's kind of a sign whether people know what they're doing because it's it's so easy to mess up, and it was just fresh and delicious, and and then you know onto the to the halva crusted. French toast, even just like a, a glass of chai was served with a biscuit and just sort of just perfect. And I, I just sometimes you see you sit in a place you just love it. It's got the food, it's got the com- the, the service, it's got the atmosphere. You know, you want to go there and give them your money again. And that, that was Supercon International. I really, you know, the, I think as, uh, COVID has made us much tougher on restaurants and it's given them a much harder job with uh, trying to keep staff and everything. And I was so impressed with it. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the other is a book that at that price, you can't read it yet. It's not out for spring, but I've been reading Jonathan Igg's new book on uh, Martin Luther King, King of Life. And just to whet your listeners' appetites, it's fantastic. It's like having Martin Luther King downstairs making eggs in your kitchen and you go and you have a cup of coffee with him. I mean, it's, it's the real living person served up on a plate. Uh, the title again is, is King? King colon a life. A life. About Martin Luther King. And again, you know, it, it, the thought I keep having is he's such an odd, such a, you know, the, the, the haters are so keen on his flaws and people who adore him want to idolize him and make him into some sort of saint. And he was neither. He was a human being who, who Jonathan I captures and presents and it's warts and all. What I really admire is that, you know, you know, King did all the stuff that he supposedly did, but he's presented in a human context. He's and- not gotcha. And it's not celebratory. It's just alive. Uh, and uh, John, Jonathan, he's still in Chicago, right? 
Yes, yes. He's, he's uh, you know, and, and, and I, I've known him. His book on Ali was fantastic. His, his book on, and he, 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 even his book on Al Capone. And I never read that sort of book because I'm not one of those, like, mob crime kind of guys. It was, it was an excellent book on Al Capone. He, he, he's written a variety of subjects. Uh, he, he, he wrote about the pill, uh, you know, G.D. which is in my book, G.D. Searle, you know, developed, uh, I'm going to mess the name up. They, they just call it the pill, you know. The, the, yes, the, birth control, yeah. Birth control, 1960. So, yeah, he's a wonderful researcher. One, and he uncovered all sorts of new facts and documents that had never come to light, especially the relationship with LBJ and King uh, and later in the book. And, and again, some of the bad things you can't get until May, but tuck it in the back of your, your listeners' minds. It, it really is going to be a big book, I think. I am always impressed with biographers who are willing to tackle a subject that has been tackled before by many people. Like, I mean, Martin Luther King has been written about extensively. And to say, I can take this subject right. and I can add enough to it to make it worth people plunking down their $30 or whatever it's going to cost for that book. And and they pull it off. And, and Jonathan Iga, someone he, with, with Ali, with Capone, I mean, these are people who've been written about a lot. And I just I have mad respect for them because I know, I know that, and, and you probably have the same sort of thing in journalism. You think, oh, they've already, someone's already beat me to that story. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to be the first person to write about Martin Luther King, so I'm not going to be able to do it. Courage and it, it takes confidence, and it, especially you know with the, the racial aspect. He's a white guy, and they, I'm sure there'll be people who haven't seen the book who are going to go, well, you know, you're not the person to tell the story, which is insane because he's exactly the person to tell the story. And and you know, j- just as King had had white allies and you know other things, uh, uh, you know, I is the perfect person to tell this, and, and and the result is on the page. I don't think anyone who read three pages of the book could think otherwise. Well, I'll look forward to that. And what's your what's your third one? Yeah. Oh gosh, I should come. I hate to tell you what I thought. I was gonna. I was gonna recommend Wednesday. Uh, I watched it with my wife. It's a lot of fun. Everyone's already seen it. But if you haven't, you know, it's Scooby Doo for adults with a really good character. You know, uh, uh, Jenna Ortega is is. I hadn't heard from her, but I saw that dance a thousand times on Instagram, and it really was. You know, it's not the sort of show I normally watch, but my wife and I very very much enjoyed it. Kind of binge watched it every night. Oh, uh, Johanna and I the same. Same thing. It's uh, that character, uh, the, the character of Wednesday Adams, uh, the, the the dark. You know, I don't I don't like to celebrate, nor I or I don't like to celebrate birthdays. It's just one one more step on toward the cold embrace of death. <laughs> right. Very well written. Very, very good. Fun. And again, it, it's really just uh, the best done Scooby Doo ever. Yes. But, I, uh, you know. I agree so much. Hey, that's that's Neil Steinberg from the Sun Times and the author of uh, Every Gosh Darn Day, a new, great new book out. I'm Eric Zorn, sitting in for Joan Esposito, and we're going to be back with Charlie Meyerson after the break. This is WCPT. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, this is the time on Thursday afternoon when you would usually hear the introductory music for me, Eric Zorn. I uh, appear every week with Joan, and there's usually fiddle music here that uh, I've sent Joan a sampling of my fiddle playing, and she plays it, and I come in and we talk about the Picayune Sentinel, which is my newsletter on Substack. And uh, one of the things that I do when I assemble my newsletter every week and prepare for it and prepare to go on the podcast, uh, The Mincing Rascals, is I read Charlie Meyerson's incredibly 
uh, comprehensive newsletter, Chicago Public Square, comes out every day. And Charlie is with me right now. Charlie, how's it going? After that introduction, wonderfully. <laughs> you you were ready ready for one of my savage introductions, my one of my take one of my takedowns. Yeah, the one where you tell people all the behind the scenes stories about how what a, what a what a weirdo I am to work with. Well, Charlie and I have worked together. We have worked together. This is uh, years ago. We were at the Tribune, and we were both involved in the sort of nascent formation of Chicago Tribune.com and all the various things they were trying there. And uh, Charlie wrote Day Watch from the from the beginning and was always coaching us on how to get more clicks. And uh, and then you went then to WGN, right? And then after after uh, eleven years with the Trib, I, I went up to the fourth floor to join WGN Radio uh, for a couple of years. And and almost as soon as I moved up there. The corporate powers that be decided that the radio news team should be. Uh, uh, wait, I, I've got my floors mixed. Yeah, up. I know what I'm going to say. Well, we, were, we were on four. Then the uh... you were on the fourth floor. I went down to the first floor to join WGN, and then uh, the powers that be decided that the radio news team should be moved from the first floor up to the fourth floor in the middle of the Tribune newsroom. So uh, I wasn't gone for long. And and out. of course before that, I mean just to get everybody up, you were WXRT. Uh, I was at WXRT for uh, for a decade, uh, seventy nine to eighty nine, and then I went to WNUA, uh, dearly departed smooth jazz radio station in Chicago, and then joined the trip. Yeah. So anyway, so then, and then anyway, and I, and I think this, this all this background is important because I want to explain where where Chicago Public Square is coming from. You you went from WGN. Did you go right to uh, to Rivet Radio? Well, uh, no, I went uh, for a, a year after WGN to this um, really fun but short-lived uh, experiment in all news on the FM dial, FM News Chicago. Uh, it was a great year, covered City Hall, and, uh, and then they pulled the plug. As they do. And, uh, As in they me- do. In media these days. And then Rivet Radio... Which you're involved Rivet, with? Uh, Rivet uh, is uh, is still around. Rivet is you know was was our uh, notion of reinventing radio news for the smartphone, sort of Pandora for radio news, um, and uh, it still exists. It's a wonderful app. There's not much content on it these days because the company has pivoted to um, podcast production. Well, we're all about podcasts these days, right? We are now, um, aren't we all? Um, and are you going now? You have your Chicago Public Square uh, podcast. I mean, it's not it's not called that though, right? It's or, well, it is. It's it's well, okay. Um, I have, there's a it. series. Of, there's a series of Chicago Public Square podcasts that, uh, for the most recent episodes, has been co-produced with Rivet, and we've been calling it uh, Chicago Media Talks, where you were a guest. Uh, you a guest, and Steve yeah. Johnson were a guest last year, I guess. Right, it's right after um, we left the so, Tribune. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good get for us, and uh, and so yeah, that's that series of podcasts is ongoing, um, but it's uh, it's not a regular occurrence. I really like the idea of having these in-depth conversations with Chicago media figures because they have these people who are in your lives all the time, uh, people on TV, people on radio, especially sometimes people in print, and and you you feel like you know them, but 
in some ways you don't. And I, I did some profiles of people on um, the, the various panelists of the Mincing Rascals. I just did a long interviews with like Brandon Pope, who we had on earlier on the show. Yeah. Just, you know, like, where'd you grow up? What'd your folks do? Where'd you go to school? What did you want to do? How did you get into this business? And and these are, you know, you, you, you see these people all the time, but you don't really know that much about them. But, but um, so just, and then let's get caught up to the reason... One of the reasons I'm having you on, we're old pals, and we pl- we play music together at the Oak Park Farmers Market uh, on Saturday mornings, and so there's we got a lot we got a lot in common here. But the the reason I want I want you on today is that you write uh, this this daily newsletter, Chicago Public Square, which takes a look at what's in all the papers and, in, and in, on a lot of the blogs and uh, just you gather links from everywhere and you sort of present them to people like, this is what you need to know today. And it is it is a it's a quick read. It, it, you can go in depth with every link you want to, but it, it is vital reading, I think. And I, I really urge people to go to ChicagoPublicSquare.com, right? Is that the... Is that the um, exactly. exactly and, and, right. and sign up for it. You can get it delivered free. It comes out... What, is it 10 a.m. or 9 a.m.? I think it's... 10 a.m. 10 a.m. That's the time we, we, once upon a time, decided the Tribune was a good time to send out email. They watched the uh-huh. newsletter I did for the Trib, and I, I, I think it still holds up. It's a good time to reach people. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the Axios newsletter comes out in the morning, and Shia Kapos comes out like at 6 a.m., but then yours takes a, a, a look at what's actually in the papers, what's what's making news that morning, uh, as well as uh, as well as what has made news overnight. Anyway, it's it's a, tell, that started a couple of years ago, right? Three years ago? More than a couple. It started it started in uh, twenty in January of twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Um, oh my goodness! Wow. Where uh, I had a compulsion to uh, be in the game, so to speak, because that was a pivotal month in the history of the United States. Um, And a friend actually wrote to me and said, this is as Donald Trump was taking office. And there was news everywhere, uh, every angle, local, national, international, um, in, in business, in politics, of course, in technology, all of these things were in flux as Donald Trump came to office. And a friend wrote to me and said, um, there's so much news happening. Do you know anyone who's sort of rounding up what's going on? And I stroked my chin a little bit and thought, oh, that's kind of what I do. And in a sense, it's kind of what I've always done as a radio newscaster. You know, one of the jobs is to come in every morning and unfold both or all of the daily newspapers, see what's in them. You monitor other radio stations. As the Internet came along, you monitored the web uh, to see what, what was breaking. And then every half hour or so, or if you're on TV or, you know, in a network newscast maybe once a day, you sort of put it all together in a way that you hope makes sense. So, as I say, I stroked my chin and I said, oh, I can do that. And uh, and so I started um, what I refer to as compulsive behavior, sort of rounding up the news every morning at 10 o'clock and giving it to people to absorb. Well, you start you must start rounding up the news well before 10 o'clock because it goes out at 10 o'clock. What, well, what's exactly your, what is your right. what is your uh, process here? Uh, the alarm goes off at seven o'clock and uh, I grab a, a cup of cereal, not a bowl, because I'm working at my desk. I don't want to spill a bowl. Um, and a and a and a, a mug of orange juice and uh, pad up to my desk and uh, and start writing. Um, you know, I first I go through the the papers, the actual newspapers, 
jot a couple of words down. Oh, there's a story here. I, I, that looks interesting. I'll, I'll uh, leave a space for that in the newsletter. Um, and after I've done all that, uh, I go through uh, the email, and I subscribe to a lot of email newsletters, including many created by the people you've had on earlier today, Eric. Um, and I'm always grateful. I don't see the, them as competition. Their sources, so long as their newsletter comes out before 10 o'clock, I can point to them. Yeah. And that includes you. Um, so, uh, and, 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 you know, rough out the newsletter and then go through and, and find the, the best, most current links I can on, on the web uh, and, and put it all into chicagopublicsquare.com. And, and you were telling me earlier, we, you know, we email relationship, and then I was asking you about, uh, th- there were some days where you were playing very heavily on national news, and I was saying, well, is, is this where your traffic is? And you, and you were telling me that... that <clears throat> Stories like these national stories, I think it may have been a, a big weather story or may have been a big Trump story. I can't remember what it was. But the, no. the, the Chicago readers are are so interested in these national stories that, that you you give them prominence because that's what people are clicking on. That's what they want to know about, that, that that's where their interest is. That, that, and, and you use your metrics to really – I mean, I know you're, you're frequently telling me what people are reading. You really follow that. You really know what is getting the clicks. You're really into those numbers, right? It's, it's, it's a wonderful symbiotic relationship that, you know, anyone who creates an email newsletter can have with the audience. Every day the audience tells you what they're most interested in. If a link at the bottom of any edition of Chicago Public Square gets the most clicks – the readers are, in a sense, telling me that they were more interested in that than what appeared earlier in the newsletter. And next time, Charlie, maybe you want to play that story or use that technique for getting people to tap on a story uh, in, in other contexts. Um, so, yeah, the, the audience is always making me smarter, more insightful about what the audience wants. Yeah, because this is not, it's, it's called Chicago Public Square, but, but uh, listeners should know that it, it covers the, the, the whole waterfront in terms of the news. If you, if you want to know what the, what the good stories are about what's going on in Washington, what's going on even overseas, you will have often scoured, and this is why I, I'm, I'm wondering whether you actually don't do any work before 7 in the morning, because <laughs> it seems to me like you've got so much stuff going on that you must be gathering string Every day after 10 o'clock for the next day's issue. Is that, well, is that fair? There's some, com- there's some compulsive behavior that goes on while I'm watching TV at night. Oh, yeah, okay, that could work. And, uh, yes, I'm uh, as most of us do while we're oh, looking yeah. at one screen, also looking at another screen. That's but I very try, familiar I mean, to me, yeah. You know, there's not a lot that it gets written before 7 o'clock. Um, you know, um, just to come back to something you said, you know, doing a radio newscast, um, the mission is... Local, state, national, you know, what do listeners need to hear now? Um, And the, I'm losing my voice. I'm not sure why, but I am. Um, The the subtitle for Chicago Public Square is Chicago's New Front Page. And I, I very much try to approach it as an editor of a newspaper front page would. Newspaper front pages, the Tribune, the Sun-Times, sometimes have national content, sometimes have local content, sometimes have feature stories. Um, and that's, you know, that's a metric I use. Would, would this be at home on the front page of a newspaper? Um, and again, going back to, you know, our time together at the Tribune, um, Daywatch, which is still the Tribune's daily email newsletter, once upon a time was all about only Chicago Tribune content. Right. As a rabble rouser, I, I, I went to the bosses and said, 
hey, if the Sun-Times has a story that we don't have, let me link to that. And how did that and, go over? Um, how did that go over? Well, eventually, eventually uh, very well. Eventually, eventually it did, but I was around then, too, and I remember at one point getting a ver- rather tart memo from one of the high bosses saying, why are we telling Chicago Tribune readers something that Richard Roper has written? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, well, and, and yes, and that, there was some of that, and, and when I left, that practice went away. But, but here's, here's the deal. Um, I, I, a reader suggested this at one point. Um, I refer to it as the miracle on 34th Street approach to news. And if you remember the story of a miracle on 34th Street, Santa Claus gets in trouble for telling a lady, uh, go down the street to, Gim- to uh, Gimbel's. Um, they've, got a, they've got a better deal on roller skates or something. And Santa Claus gets in trouble at Macy's. Why are you sending our shoppers to another store and and shortly thereafter a lady comes in that lady comes back and says i'm going to start all my shopping at macy's from now on because you sent me to gimbals and and that's the notion behind what i tried to do with the tribune and what i do at the chicago uh, with chicago public square is hey this is where you start and we'll send you wherever you need to go to get what we think yeah. is the best account or the best insight on stories that we think are interesting. Exactly. And so you'll come back the next day and, and you won't feel yeah. like you're in a walled garden. And, and this idea of the, of the of online being a walled garden, of publications creating a, a walled garden, I think is really uh, old thinking, which is, which is why I'm such a fan of newsletters. I'm a fan of, of Politico and, and Chicago Public Square, <clears throat> Axios Chicago, um, CityCast Chicago. There, there are a number of, of newsletters that, that I guess they cover these areas so that so much is going on out there. So many good things are, are being are being written, and so many good an analysis and takes that it's really important to have somebody who's out there curating for you. And essentially, I, you know, you're, you think of yourself as a newscaster, and I think of what you do as as curating. And that's and I guess what you're saying is a newscaster is a curator. So we're not we're not in conflict yeah, with that. Yeah, so. well, I, I'm not crazy. A word that often gets used is um, aggregator, and I, that seems like a bloodless concept to me and I'm, I'm not crazy about that no but but you'll go Cur- you'll, curator i like curator uh, newscaster i like there you go hey this is charlie myerson he's going to be back with his three recommendations am i right charlie you did your homework you're going to i, give me I three have done my homework oh, i can't wait uh charlie myerson is the uh proprietor of chicago public square i'm eric zorn i'm sitting in for joan esposito today and this is wcpt am 820 and we will be right back WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Well, Joan Esposito is not returning right now. She's on break, and I'm Eric Zorn from the Picayune Sentinel, and I'm sitting in for Joan today. Uh, I will be posting uh, at my newsletter the recommendations that all of my guests have offered today. I've asked each of the guests who've come on to give me three recommendations of anything that they want people to watch or, or eat or visit, anything like that, uh, patronize, purchase. And uh, right now, the last set of three goes to Charlie Meyerson, who is the proprietor of Chicago Public Square, which is one of the finest 
daily newsletters in Chicago. It keeps you up to oh date my. on all the news. What do you think? That's not true, Charlie. You think it's not one of the? No, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm humbled. I'm blown oh, away. Thank you very much. Well, it's, it's true, and I, I recommend you people go right online to subscribe to that. And uh, so, Charlie, it's free. Got, it's free. It's go free. to ChicagoPublicSquare.com now. Yeah. You can sign up. Right, right, right. And uh, like uh, Hawk Volkswagen. Do you like how I read that ad? Did you hear me? I did. I think you. I think you have a future in broadcasting. <laughs> I, you know, we, we when I when we were at the Tribune, we weren't allowed to read ads. We would do the. I would do these uh, guest hosting sins, and we couldn't read them, so that somebody else had to read them. And I think it's you fun. Know, it, 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 well, it, it kind of is. When I was in radio news, I, I had in at least one of my contracts provision that I would not do ads because I thought. You know, like uh, Tribune and like serious journalists. That, I can't. Uh, yeah, you can't. That was, a, that was not a line I wanted to cross. I know, but I, at this point, you know, I mean, and, and it's, I think it's fun to read them, and you know, I think people time has changed. People understand that I'm reading an ad, and it's uh, absolutely anyway. Anyway, your recommendations. Enough about the ads. Recommendations, Charlie Myers. Right. Well, these are, these are, I guess, kind of like ads, although no money is changing hands. Yes. Oh, so that's um, understood. All right. Number one, you know, I'm still kind of living a monkish life uh, through the pandemic. The fact that we can do this interview, I can do it from my desk with a, with a microphone is just amazing to me uh, in, in retrospect. Um, but my pandemic hall pass has been Fitzgerald's nightclub in Berwyn. Mm. Tomorrow night, uh, we have tickets to go see Robbie Fulk's New Year's Eve Eve show. Uh, proprietor Will Duncan has has really done a miraculous job of navigating Fitzgerald's through the pandemic. He he closed like the week before everything shut down. He bought it from Bill Fitzgerald, and and you know they were. Can you beat me? F bleep bleep C K E D, um, <laughs> and um, uh, and they've reinvented it continuously through the pandemic, including an upgraded menu, Baby Gold Barbecue. With soft serve ice cream, you have to ask for it. But this is really cool. Not just chocolate, not just vanilla, but swirl. But you have to go to the desk and ask for it. Um, so, yeah, Fitzgerald's is, is, is a wonderful place to be. And I realize I'm making it harder for myself to get tickets uh, to future events by telling everybody that. But Fitzgerald's and Berwyn, great place to visit. And, and on many nights, uh, the, the entertainment, the music is free. Yeah, it's, a, it's, two? A, it's a wonderful venue. Yes, number two. YouTube TV. Just about a year ago, I cut the cable on TV. We kept Comcast Xfinity for Internet, but um, pay just 65 bucks a month now for all the basic cable and broadcast that I can eat. Um, the one shortcoming is WGN-TV, Channel 9 here in Chicago, is not part of the package. Uh, you can get that for free, though, over the, over the air with an antenna. And it comes with unlimited DVR. Um, which I think makes it a great deal. And 2A, if you want on-demand channels, you can sign up for a, a wonderful free newsletter. Jared Newman does one called Cord Cutter Weekly, since newsletters are a recurring theme of this show. You can sign up at cordcutterweekly.com, and he is very good about rounding up all the various free trial codes that are out there for Paramount+, Plus, Apple TV, um, I've never pay, paid for Paramount Plus because there's like a new code every month. And if, you, if you're a Star Trek fan, for instance, um, that newsletter is worth the price of admission, which is free. Cordcutterweekly.com is where people should go. Yep. Yeah, I, I have, uh, I, my, my son, uh, New York, has YouTube TV, and he, he really likes it. And uh, we're still on the dish. And I, I, you know, I, I'm stuck on the dish. I, I, like, I like its various features, and I'm kind of a baby about it. And... My wife if you like it, should... you can keep it. But I'll tell you what, one of the cool things about YouTube TV is, you know, you can use it wherever you are in the country, of course. 
Um, and, you know, my sons are far flung, but they are on our account with their own DVRs and, and watching whatever they want. They just have to come back to Chicago every, I don't know, three months or so to, to log in here. And then they can go wherever they want in the world and uh, and still get YouTube t- TV. And you can watch like the Bulls and the White Sox and things like well, that. Well, you know, you know me, Eric. I'm not a sports fan. I can't give you an inventory of what's uh, what sports. I, th- I I think a lot of that is on there, but I ain't a sports guy, so I don't really know. But I don't miss it either. That's yeah. the other thing is, and I'm not paying for a lot of content that. I don't use. Well, but, it's half the you know, price. The, I mean, we, you, I think it's what you said, sixty-five dollars a month, something like 65 that. Sixty-five bucks a yeah, month. Yeah, I mean, I, we're paying at least twice that. I think for Dish. Yeah, I, you I, know, it's, um, it's I, I think it's a great deal, and so you're not paying for a lot of sports you don't need. Uh, the, you know, CNN, the, the news channels, the all, all the basic entertainment channels are on there, and the local broadcast channels too. Except, as I say, for for Channel Nine. Channel Nine, and number three. This isn't going to be useful to a lot of your listeners, but. Um, a shout-out to the Flute Center of New York. Okay. As Eric knows, I play the flute. I do know that. Well, this is a discovery for me. The, the Flute Center of New York will send you flutes for, for you to try at no cost to you. They pay FedEx both ways. You want to buy a flute, they'll send you three at once for you to try out in the comfort of your home or wherever you are. are you, so are you, they sent me... You're in the market for new flute? Well, I'm not done with my story yet. Okay. They sent me six of these things in December, three at a time before I finally pulled the trigger on an instrument whose existence I didn't even know about three years ago. But I've been itching to try, and I tried it, and I bought one, an alto flute. There's a whole family of flutes. There are bass flutes. There's an alto flute. Uh, the, the, the C flute, which is the standard flute, is, I guess, a tenor flute. But, um, you know, I bit the bullet on an alto flute, which has got a, a deeper, richer sound. It's used in a lot of jazz pieces, and it doesn't pierce quite so much. So if you're in an ensemble, you don't have to worry about the high notes. Is the fingering the same? I mean, when you're playing melodies, you... The fingering is the same. So um, you don't have to much. learn a whole new instrument. A, yeah. No, you have to blow a lot harder. But it's, it, what's cool about it, uh, cool looking, is the head is curved. It's like in a U shape, so it, it doubles back because otherwise it would be really, really long. There are straight heads, but I'm not big enough to deal with one of those. But so it curves around kind of like a it's a U joint. For and, so this uh, is for all you flautists out there, or flute, right. the flutists. Flute, I, you the and flute I had, center of New York. You and I had this discussion. Was it fl- flautist or flutist? Right. I like saying flautist, but AP style is uh, flutist. Well, we got to stick with AP style. That's Charlie Myerson. He runs Chicago Public Square. Please subscribe <laughs> to it. It's a great newsletter. I'm Eric Zorn. I've been sitting in for Joan Esposito today, and I don't know when she's going to be back. But but uh, it's been a blast talking to my friends and getting their recommendations. I'm going to post them at the Picayune Sentinel, which is ericzorn.substack.com. And you can email me, ericzorn at Gmail, and we'll talk to you next week. 